Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of the Completely Unnecessary Podcast. It's almost Halloween, but it's Tuesday, October 24th. We are one week away, actually. 2017. You're Ian Ferguson. I am. I'm Pat Conjure. We're talking about the Analog Super NT being announced. We're talking about EA Visceral closing down. We're talking about limited run manufacturing Nintendo Switch games. Physical games. The NeoGAF meltdown, a certain prototype NES ROM was dumped, and other fun stuff. Ian, what was going on? Did you, invo- uh, did you enjoy Portland Retro Gaming Expo? I did. Um, Portland Retro Gaming Expo was great as always this year. Um, didn't see nearly as much of it this year as I have in previous years. I don't know. It actually felt busier, and I'm not sure why. But the setup was insane um the arcade room was uh packed larger than it normally tons is. of pinball games this year night like 90 of them i think is was it 90 that, i thought i saw like 50 they but. officially said on the website that they were doubling what they had from last year to uh over doubling to 90 pinball machines and we're talking high-end like quality games <laughs> yeah and they were all in really nice shape um and from where i was sitting it seemed like they were actually doing work on the machines that were breaking down on the floor like right there and then putting them back out on the floor i mean they had like some part of finals have the elvira one they had the creature black lagoon there had a really nice creature there some goofy ones like like champion pub just like goofy ones that i uh, i adore and there's some you know they said electromechanical ones as well that were nice they had a pet they had the peps can crusher they had the uh whoa nelly which are uh, like modern day electromechanical style okay uh, pinball oh machines. that's right that, that melons one that was a modern yeah. stern electromechanical yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not Stern though. Was uh, it Stern? No, the same company also did uh, a Pabst-based machine. When I first called... saw that machine, I'm like, "Oh, this, this is this new? I never heard of a melons theme, you know? Yeah, no, innuendo. It was, it was new. <laughs> Check uh, out my melons. It was new, and yeah, a <laughs> uh, similar machine called Pabst Can Crusher was there, which I didn't get to play. But then um, I even saw some some uh, like digital new mock-up pinball machine. Oh yeah, they had some virtual pins there as well. Oh, cool. Um, that are always neat to see. That I always think about, but it's, it's you know it's 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 never the same. But they are cool. Um, I mean, it just in terms of what people have done with technology. Um, tons of vendors. Um, I mean, there was over 125 or something like that. There's a lot. So many that I actually have to tell this story, and hopefully the vendors listening on Friday, which was just the arcade day. I went into the vendor hall. And I was just looking around for people to say hi to Mm because all the vendors were setting up and we weren't in the vendor hall. We were in the, uh, we were actually in the arcade room 
which was different than previous years. So I was looking around for people setting up to say hello to, and uh, someone who, they looked very familiar, but I couldn't remember their names. They were unpacking their games, and uh, they had all of their Game Boy stuff nicely organized, so that caught my eye, and I was like, well, um, I'm just going to see if I can check it out real quick. Because most people don't organize their Game Boy stuff that nicely. I'm thinking they probably have some good stuff. I find a Gradius 2 that I want. And I didn't have cash on me. And they weren't set up for card. And they weren't really selling anyways. And they were like, well, we can hold it for you until tomorrow. Uh The next day, we get there. And the divider is wide open. It's not closed anymore. There's no doors in between the uh, arcade area and the vendor area. It's just wide open. And over the course of two days, I tried to find that booth again so that I could buy the greatest too. <laughs> and you just, you're like... I never found the booth again. I tried to spot them by person or by what they had laid out on the written table. written it down in your hand, the, the booth number. I, I just, I, I remembered it by, okay, I went in this far, like, right entrance, and it was, like, this kind of... And I just, I have no idea where they were. So, um, if you're out there and you still have that greatest too... Get in touch with me. I'll buy it. There was a vendor. Not, I'm not trying to plug a certain any guy, but there was a vendor that said, "Bring me one of your books later on Sunday. Yeah, I want at least one. I I don't remember where it was. So there was one vendor I didn't get at least one book to. That I was just like, oh okay, and didn't couldn't do it. Yeah, I was supposed to meet up with uh, Andrew from Rockheart on uh, Rockheart. Uh, it's Clothing company. I don't think I've got a chance to say hi to him all week. I'm trying. I was to remember. supposed to meet up with him on like Friday, and I didn't find him until Sunday. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the, the way that, that's why PRG is, though. <laughs> that's it's how, just gigantic. I mean, besides the fact that it's busy, I mean, it, it has I, gotten so huge that, I mean, w- you really can't overstate how big of a of a retro gaming convention yeah. PRG is. I, I, I didn't get to talk to Chris Cole until Sunday. Usually I see him on the first day or like Saturday. We, you know, we talk a lot and I didn't see him until Sunday. We spoke for like five minutes. I found that he had the uh, Nintendo Fun Club issues I was looking at on Friday. Uh, when he wasn't there, oh, it was Chris Kohler's getting rid right. of his extras, of course, and then he had sold them by then. But that was it; didn't get a chance to talk to him. It, it was it's a nutty event. Besides uh, trying to meet everyone and then bringing a bunch of books there, there's just you run into everyone and you have like a, like a second to talk to them. Yeah, like it, like I, I actually feel like I didn't even really talk with like uh, like Norm is someone that I'll hang out with at most of these conventions for a long time, and I didn't even really get a chance to at this one, even though you know. He's always there at these, right? So it's, it's just it's just a weirder event for that. It really is. It feels more like me, more like there's some fun there, but it's more like this is work. Well, that, it, that I mean, it, it's a blast, and I mean, the, the, the counterpoint that is like Vani was there, and she had an amazing time, and she likes working conventions, and she like really helped because um, you 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 split off. Um, to a different area, but she really helped like Norm, Rue, and myself a lot. But she likes working the table, and she took some time to go look around. She loved it, but I mean, I, I'm sitting here today, and I don't know how I'm going to do on this podcast. But I don't yeah, it's it's exhausting. It would, uh, would I had would have been exhausting if that wasn't my third week in a row doing it. Right, I'd still be exhausted. Yeah, um, I had two pretty nerdy moments. I had two nerd out moments. I don't tend to nerd out very often, but um, I got to talk to Leonard Herman more than I did at uh, a video game. Um, Author of Phoenix, uh, uh, Rise of Phoenix Video Games. 4, yeah. I mean, he was he, he was publishing video game history books in the early 90s when no one was doing it. Yeah. The guy's a, a national treasure and not enough people know he, about he's him. He's from New Jersey. Probably didn't grow up far from Frank. And, right. Uh, he was personal friends with Ralph Bear. Um, and he, check out his book, uh, Phoenix, Rise of Video Games. He was nice enough to give me a copy 
back in New Jersey. Yeah. I was going to give him a copy of my book. He said, oh, I already bought it. So I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, he gave me right. a signed copy of, of the book at this convention. We got to talk more. And I, it's it's one of my – it's probably my uh, favorite thing that I'm taking <laughs> – I took home from the convention. Um, and I can't wait to dive into it. Salt of the Earth, would you say? Salt of the Earth? Yeah. Yeah, one and, of salt of the earth it, and like I said, a, a treasure and a, and a. I mean, uh, one of the heroes of preservation. Uh, I got, I got. The, I was like enjoying. It hasn't happened in a couple of years, but my pal Dane from my favorite website, Nintendo Age. Uh, I always love hanging out with Dane and seeing him uh, and getting to hang out. And we always hang out during the auction and get to talk and shoot the shit. And we were always astounded by some prizes. It's good to hear him talk about certain stuff go for way more than they should, like that DS uh, glucose uh, yeah. meter. Or Dane's like. You can find that at Walgreens, a clearance for, for $10 at some stores. Dane was saying that during the auction. This this device went for $200 new. I just look at my phone right away on Amazon Prime. You can get it for $80 on Prime brand new, and it goes for $200. That's the nature of an auction, though. If you don't know what it should cost, you get into the frenzy, you overbid on stuff. Well, that, that I mean, that's also kind of the point of the auction. I yeah. think it was Frank and I who were discussing it. It, is like, it, it gets you to spend more, and especially the charity auction, that's okay, but it's part of the frenzy. I mean, oh, sure. You see things go for way more than they should. You have to be educated a little bit, or you can lose a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And the other person that I finally got to meet that was awesome, um, and like I said, this was kind of my real uh, geek out moment. I tried to uh, keep it down, but I uh, was meeting Ben Hackendorn. Oh, yeah, that's right. You, weren't, you didn't get to meet him last year. <laughs> no. At all. I didn't. I, and uh, that I, was really cool. I saw that. I had to walk away, but you were saying, oh, Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we chatted for a bit. I've been following his stuff since, I don't know, the early 2000s i mean since he started i think i think people were posting links to shit he was doing on maybe even tsr's nes pit message board so i mean i've been following all of his uh you know his wacky um contraptions and builds for forever and finally getting to meet him was really really cool yeah last year i did a sit down with him for like 15 20 minutes it was it was really fun we had a lot of fun with that. it was on the not so common podcast yeah one of the earlier ones. So check out that other one. Uh, other things. By the way, speaking of Frank, did a great job setting up the uh, museum oh, exhibit amazing. with Rick Weiss's insane Atari Twenty Six Hundred collection. Rick, Rick is one of the one of the um, so one of the board members, and he helps put on the Retro Gaming Expo uh, there. Shout out to Chuck and Toby, everyone else there, putting on a great show. Yeah. Super professional. Everyone's show. fantastic. Uh, Jake, uh, Jake, who who helps out there. I've seen him start from a volunteer, and now he's you know like the main guy there helping run like this the little activities on on just like super nice guy very helpful uh panels run super professionally uh at, at the event i had two panels and you know, i gave you a break in the second one uh we got our cute little cards for the atari fourth yeah those are really nice looking they are they had they had the <laughs> original like atari uh you know remember all those painted ones like the, oh defender the woman's like running away from the alien attack yeah the same artist looks like did the the promo uh poster work for mm-hmm. this event for the fourth anniversary and there was actually a topic I was going to bring up that I saw an article and Steve retweeted. I mean, this is how PRG is. I'm eating breakfast on Saturday morning, half asleep, and I hear a conversation about, I think it was Ed, Ed Freeze, uh, was like, yeah, we're, we're trying, to, trying to track down what, what the first game ROM from Grand Attack. Oh, yeah. Um, Grand Attack, uh, not Grand, what is it, Grand Rally 10, is that what it was? Um, so we're talking 1974 uh, Atari game. Let's see. It's a grand rally? What Steve just tweet out? But I heard the conversation, like two days before I see it written about online, just all these Atari developers around me and, and some other uh, other people that I forgot what they were from. I was so tired on Saturday morning. But they're talking about, yeah, we're trying to track it down. We think that John Harding might have 
an earlier version. And then I see the article written a few days later. So that's what I mean. Like, this is like the heartbeat of what's going on at this point in the retro gaming scene and even for these early developers uh, to get uh, together. May I should bring that up real quick as, as an aside? Because that, that was an interesting story, but I heard it firsthand at the table while I'm eating my, while I'm eating my buffet eggs and, and, uh, and, and bacon. I'm hearing them talk about this. Here it is. Finding the first video game run. This is a mini topic. This is, uh, let's see. Ed, Ed, Ed Freeze, uh, yeah, he was at the table. And, and John Hardy uh, found, yeah, Grand Track. So that was like the, the first arcade game that actually used Just a ROM. ROM and not solid state logic, right? Or, or not something, not, I think the graphics were used to be built into uh, like tubes before that or something. Right. This is okay. all packed into a read only memory chip. Gotcha. So this, so, so they were looking at the original schematics and, um, the chip was marked 70, I think the original one was marked 74, which is for 1974, then the next is the date of the year. That's how the chips are, were produced. It's like the first two digits of the year, second two, what week of the year. So the first one, like I think it was like 74, okay, here we go. Uh, so 74186, they thought was the earlier ROM, but then they actually found an earlier one. So they actually found the prototype ROM. So they actually found the very first video game ROM they think ever produced. But I heard the conversation happen no. around. I'm eating breakfast. And that's the sort of stuff that just and happens. I and I didn't at feel. Portland and I didn't feel like I didn't introduce myself to anyone. I felt like who the fuck am I? You right. know, all these people that like, you have the guy sitting across from me. I think there was a one guy that um, helped create the prototype for the 2600 sitting across from me. It's like who the fuck am I? I, I just kept my mouth shut and ate my bacon and, and eggs. Yeah, and, like walked away. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I don't think I was being mean. I was just like, I don't. I have no place in this conversation. Yeah, I'm just lucky to like hear it happen as we go and sell sell a certain NES guidebook afterwards. <laughs> but that's why I, I like Portland for that and, and seeing everyone. And there's no time for a second year in a row. I get a chance to talk to Peanut Butter Gamer. Last year I saw him for a second, like just just entirely out, out of my mind because I was deathly tired. This year I didn't see him at all. But we got to hang out with with, with Gerard. Yeah, with Gerard and Satch. Right, and, 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 you know, Norm and Rue, and it was great seeing all these people, and it was great meeting um, some new friends and getting to know some people better. And seeing uh, the Metal, Metal Jesus crew for a little bit, John Hancock, seeing oh, Kelsey, yeah. Kinsey, um, Reggie for a little bit. Uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, we did our, our big beer trade, uh, Kinsey and I, and Norm was part of it, and John Riggs was part of it, and we had a bunch of people uh, doing it this year, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but it's gotten to the point now where at PRGE, if you want to hang out and see your friends, like, you know, Gerard and I were talking, it's like, if we see each other on the floor, uh, you know, if we don't see, we're probably not even going to get a chance to say hi to each other. Yeah. You know, if you want to see friends at, at Portland Retro Gaming Expo, you go up a couple days early. Or you stay late. Or you stay late. People, Gerard was telling me, yeah, we're, we're going to stay later. It seems more and, and more like, people are staying later, and actually. after the way I feel now, I feel I should do that to decompress the next day. Yep, you know. I think uh, next year I'm definitely gonna see if we can stay. Monday. Try try to stay into Monday and leave Monday night. So so just uh, again a great time. I'm, oh, and then plus I did a sit down interview uh, with the not for resale guys. You did I think you did a I ten did, minute interview I did as well. Twenty minutes with I, them. We did a sit down with me, uh, Kelsey from Pink Gorilla, and Frank Cifaldi for a half hour, and we probably could have spoke for an hour about where we think physical media is the future of retro game collecting 10, 20, 30 years from now. And we had to cut it, but we could have went forever talking about that. So again, we're not just bloating about it because we, we actually we love that event. We just love it. Yep. And I will be next. I get a month off, kind of, not really a month off, but a month off from conventions, and I'll be at uh, Retro Game Con in Syracuse. I am returning. That's my last convention of the year. 
and that is going to be in Syracuse. I believe it is November 18th and 19th. Go to RetroGameCon.com for more information. The Amazon Prime thing is still going with the Video Game Years. This is easier. Go to TheVideoGameYears.com. It'll redirect you. Boom. John put up the redirect to that. I forgot he had that. That awesome. uh, Off of, uh, I think, GoDaddy or wherever he registered that. Uh, other than that, um, we're coming back. NES Marathon. That's right. NESMarathon.com. Check it out. Me, Ian, Vonnie, Demon Cat, Gerard, Alex, Andre. I mean, it's going to be a fucking blast. That's right. I can say that. Uh, <laughs> Demon Cat. <laughs> it, it's going to be a blast. I'm not this, not to say last year wasn't fun, but last year, as you said in a lot of comments, said Pat looked wrecked last year. Yes, I was wrecked. I'm wrecked most years, but last year more than more I was wrecked. But with spreading the wealth around, I think it's going to be a little fresher, more livelier to have everyone else involved and make it more of it. I think more of an event that, you know, within the first couple of years, we couldn't have seen it get to this point. Right. For, the, for the eighth year. <clears throat> and that's just building up the relationships and knowing people. I didn't know Andre or Gerard eight years ago or Alex or, you know, or Demon Cat eight years ago when he was mini Demon Cat. <laughs> I didn't know Vani eight years ago. Did you not really know Vani eight years ago? Uh, when I first moved here? That might have been like right before I met her. Because I've been here eight years now. Yeah. So that's when it started. We'll start 2010, so seven years ago. Eighth and seven years, yeah. So, NESMarathon.com, that's November 11th and 12th, and you can choose which games uh, you want to play by donating at least $40. There's also sponsorships available. Um, we're using Razoo as the platform uh, because we couldn't figure out the Indiegogo generosity thing in time, but we really appreciate it. It's a fun time. It'll be on Twitch, and we, we have our uh, Burrito Gate might be solved. We'll see if Burrito Gate was solved. You missed Burrito Gate last year. Uh, that, that's oh, no, I contra- remember, controversial I remember happening the with the burrito yeah. gate. I, I forgot what it was about, whether or not Pat ate a burrito or something. But <laughs> let, let's, not Vonnie will be able to explain. Let's get on with the show. Uh-huh. Uh, we were just at Portland Retro Gaming Expo, and we spoke about lots of things. We always do Q&A. We also spoke about the announcement of the Analog Super NT. We were a little bit out of it, but I think we only rambled a little bit about it. We hit most of the main points, so we're going to... Do a little transition. We've been doing this lately. Transition. We're like grabbing at something. We're going to transition to Portland now, and hopefully the audio is usable. Woo! So, Ian, there was an announcement that happened just a couple days ago. And it seems fairly inevitable, I guess. Uh, The Super NT by Analog. That's right. And the Super NT by Analog is a follow-up to the surprisingly popular for the price um, Analog NT and Analog NT Mini which were uh, you know, luxury NES clones that ran on field programmable Gates. gate arrays, FPGA for short, <laughs> which um, are essentially, there's, there's no emulation, it's, it's a circuit board that acts as the original console would, um, so it's the closest thing you can get to having the original console, and allows for things like 100% compatibility, um, they were machine tooled out of like solid blocks of aluminum. They were pretty. Um, I believe the first analog NTs were actually made from scrap Famicom parts. Uh, but it was the Mini that um, used the FPGA. And the neat thing about it is, uh, you know, that have four controller ports and HDMI out and all this, you know, almost now um, common sort of stuff. But because of the FPGA and the fact that it had an SD card slot on it, um, the person who made the board, uh, Kevin Horton, who also goes by Kevtris online and is a, a wizard, um, 
released uh, and jailbroke um, his own FPGA that's in the mini, which allowed you to put rounds for other games and stuff on an SD card and play them. Sure. So the, he had a bunch of cores programmed for 8-bit systems that he would just say, hey guys, you can load them onto the mini NT. And then the people at Allen are like, we don't care, go for it. So it was cool. So then all of a sudden, you have a bunch of 8-bit consoles that you can use on the Mini NT. So in theory, you'd think with the Super NT, it would fall along the same lines as 16-bit consoles and backwards, going back to 8-bit, you'd be able to put on here as well, because this is much more powerful than a Mini NT. So, right, jumping back a little bit, the Super Nintendo NT is announced, uh, the Super NT is announced, and keep in mind that the original Analog NT was $499, and the Analog NT Mini was $450. I mean, I, I don't know who can afford that. Um, but I mean, hey, if you can, great, it looks awesome. Um, the Super Analog NT actually goes for $190, which is incredibly reasonable for uh, an analog product. And they're doing four different color shells. I love color variants. Um, <laughs> I think, the, I think the Super Famicom one is very, very nice looking. I, I actually like the translucent one. But, um, so there's four different variants of it. Um, it. It is stated to have 100% reliability. Uh, lag free. Lag free. FPGA, it's not some sort of emulation going on. Um, HDMI out. To cut costs, they removed the analog outs. If you're buying one of these, I don't think anyone's using. They're not buying it for analog outs. There's no point anymore. I mean, plus at this point, uh, based on conventions I've named two people I've spoken to, there, the, there's so many now Super Nintendo HDMI out clones that are on the market and coming out in the past year that are you know sub 100 level systems that, in, in general, they're more affordable. But yes, at this point, you're getting these to replace consoles from 25 years ago. Yeah, like you're you're now going okay. I have my 55 inch TV. How do I play my Super Nintendo on there? So there's really not a huge purpose of having analog out. On anything, which is ironic, it's called analog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I believe 8 bit Doe is doing all of the uh, controllers that match each system. Um, those are generally you know, quite high quality. People seem to enjoy them uh, a lot. So that should be a good pairing for the system. So overall, this is, the, the, I mean, I think this was definitely coming. Um, I think this will be incredibly popular at its price range. And yeah, if he, if, if he does jailbreak the the FPGA like he did with the first system, especially if you can go backwards and cover all that 8-bit stuff, you have you have a theoretical HDMI system for almost literally every console up to the 16-bit era. Right. Like everything. As long as you can get the, the uh, as long as he has the cores developed for those systems and you can get the ROMs on there. Mm, yeah, and it has an SD card slot, so, so that should be easy. So that's incredible. I'm glad they decided to ditch the high-end Cadillac aluminum shells. It's like, you really don't need that. Like, you want to sell a small amount of these or a ton at a smaller price point? I wanted to lick one once, but no okay. <laughs> But after that, I, did, I really didn't need it to be what it was. I just wanted to, a, lot of licking, a lot of licking going on their podcast lately. Yeah. But this is true. We heralded Atari box console. That was a different thing. Well, that was a different, really, yeah, that was a different thing you want to put on that. Yep. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, family friendly. So yeah, this is this is a, this is a great idea. Um, under two hundred dollars makes it almost a no brainer. 
at least even someone like me, that not that I'm resistant to this, but I'm like, okay, I can see the need for this, and then yeah. And then he decides to jailbreak it and then throw all the other cores on it. You can play your Master System on here. Eventually you can play your Sega Genesis games on here. I don't play 5200 games on it. Some crazy people can play 5200 games on here. If they can get controller support, why not? They can do that. <laughs> so it, it's very exciting. Um, and it, it, obviously it's cheaper parts for the shell, but if it's affordable, I don't care. I come save it $200, $250, I don't, I don't care. You know, just don't drop it on top of the house, and you should be fine. So, 1080p with zero lag. 720p would have been enough, but you know, you got 1080p. If you want to be fancy, we're going to have a 4K system at some point. Any ass why you like that? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I caught you at a handsome angle. Uh, no, 1080p. This angle, 38 degrees. Yeah. Let's read Let's read some of their marketing materials. This is what you're no, because we've already said everything. Are we imagining perhaps the greatest video game system of all time? Whoa! Fight Wars, engineer with an FPGA, no emulation, 1080p, zero lag. Well, your TV will have a lag, though. Total accuracy. The Super NT is not a plug-and-play toy. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> it is the definitive way to explore Nintendo's 16-bit era. Compatible with the 2200-plus SNES and Super Famicom game cartridge library. Explore and relive one of the greatest video game systems of all time. So it's water resistant. If only there was a book. If only there was a book to go along with 2200. It's exciting. I'm excited. I'm going to get the Famicom one probably. Super Famicom one. And you're going to take the translucent one? I, I, yeah. I mean, I didn't say I was going to get one. That, that's just the one that I would get. Don't lie to these people. You said you're going to get one, I thought. No? Well, quick by the tape back. Who, who's a. No, no one's recording this. Um, so you do have an 840p mode as well instead of 20p. Okay. Case. Okay. Just in case you have an old HDMI CRT that, has, that exists, there's a few with 480p, I guess. I don't know. So, anyway, that's all we got on this, I think. And the, and the controllers are quality. I've seen the 8 bit uh, do controllers before. I was sent one at some point. So, those are quality controllers. They're not just, you know, thrown in and cost a dollar. So, no, that's exciting times. I think, I think our job's done. We can retire. Next generation's going to take the retro gaming scene and just move it forward for the kids. I see it here. It's beautiful. Eight-year-olds running around. Pikachu hats on. Luigi hats. Some say hi, hats. Some say, who's that old man? It varies a lot. Where the fuck are you going? I don't know. I'm just extending this. It's just... <laughs> Family friendly, Ian. Family friendly. <laughs> You're getting a call right now. It's, it's so. A mom, sure. so is that all we got on this? Is that it? I mean, is this going to change the game? Is this going to sell a million? No. It's not going to replace the super... Okay, that's what I'm going to say. You have some hot takes out there that say, this is going to replace the Super Nintendo Classic. It's like, no, there's still two different markets. There's still two entirely different markets. So there's no games built in. Yeah, there were too many people comparing us to, you know, the. It's the killer! It's gonna kill no, no, the Super Nintendo Classic. Dead. Train tracks driving over it. What? Maybe this one. The train of thought? Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. See how Pat does it? Uh, no. But no, it's not gonna kill. <laughs> What's this guy doing down here? I don't know, I'm telling you that you can re 
refinance your house and make millions. Okay, Pat. It's okay. What are you saying? I don't remember. I, I, I literally don't remember. They're different markets. They're different markets because how many people out there have enough cartridges? Still, have, an average person has 30 cartridges to play. They're super Nintendo enough to get this versus spending 80 bucks. Was that a Pat poll? Like, did you just math? I just pulled it in my head. Okay. But we're, we're, in a, we're in a biased environment. We're in a retro gaming convention. I'm talking about out there. Talking about Tacoma. And what else? What else is in the state? I don't know. Is that Washington? That's what I'm going to say. What else is in Oregon? It's not Oregon. What else is in Oregon? I'm trying to do local references. The Ducks. The Ducks are here, right? The Ducks. Go Ducks. And that'll save me. I know the local college team. Anyway. And now it's time for my I'm not done. I'm going to salvage this. It was fine until you no, went off the rails. You know you're not making it fine. You're making it more awkward than it had to be by over-explaining it. So this is not a killer of the Super Nintendo Classic. Not at all. It's two different markets. And uh, there would be some crazy people like me who buy back both of these. Probably. Because you know what? There's no Star Fox 2 on the... What is this called? The Analog Super NT. That's past hot take. Yeah, but that, that ROMs and ROMs are bad, Ian. ROMs are bad. We were just talking about them. We, I mean, that's what we were excited about. Were we? It's a course, Pat. Your course. Course not a ROM though. You don't know how I'm getting that semi-legal ROM on there. Play the games if you put them on the. You can't prove that in court. You don't know if I was condoning that or not. I don't know. I'm the audience. Was Pat condoning piracy? I don't think so. I don't know. Hoping the audio was usable. <laughs> because didn't record my phone, got it on the GoPro, though. It was probably ah. okay. All right. If not, hey, look up some other links somewhere about it. But we can talk about something that was announced since Saturday. Was Very the, cool. The Super Turrican Director's Cut will be included digitally with the Super NT. And this is a version of the game... That has never, I guess, been released before, as far as I'm, as far as I know. Yes. Um, so the original Super Turrican was uh, due to a, a a size restriction at the time. Um, I'm going to assume because of the cost of uh, sure. um, physical storage at the time. Um, they had to cut out aspects of the game that they did not want to. Uh, gonna, the, was, the, the main aspect, uh, the main thing they cut out was. Um, the last level and uh, one of the bosses, and uh, the game ends kind of abruptly uh, on the Super Nintendo. Oh, so I didn't even know that. So it just it just ends. <clears throat> yeah, the ending is kind of abrupt because um, it's it's literally missing its last level. So that it adds in the um, I believe it adds back in the last level uh, the the missing boss, and then it uh, it says that it actually makes the graphics and sound a little bit better. And, and not as compressed as much? Yeah, it must not be as compressed because it's the full 6 megabit version now that they were planning on releasing before they had to squeeze it down to 4 megabits. Wow, so that's 50% larger amount of space. So that's significant. Yeah, so I mean, um, Super. Uh, I mean, Turrican is a great series of running guns. It sort of has a very... Um, it's hard to explain, but a, 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 a Euro feel to it. It's a little bit different. It's a little less straightforward. It's a little bit more You explore open. a little bit more. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little bit more exploratory. You have the grappling thing. Um, is that, yeah. And, I mean, it's a great game, and it should be awesome to see it in, you know, its intended uh, finished fashion. And they're going to do a Super Nintendo-style cardboard box. 
to be included with that. So you can pretend you have the game cartridge. That's pretty neat. That's a, I mean, that's a little cute little bonus. I mean, not to rehash what you hopefully heard with decent audio, maybe, maybe not, but I, I think this is an extremely appealing uh, and smart move by Analog to have this a sub-200 cost on this to make it more affordable for everyone versus versus the, the regular NT NES versions that are a little pricier to own. Well, and this, it, is, this is crazy, too, because I'm just thinking about it. Not only are you getting a system, you're getting a pack-in game. I mean, that doesn't yeah. ha- that doesn't happen too often anymore. That's that's smart. Nintendo won't do that anymore unless uh, well, you buy a bundle. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they they do it a lot of times maybe with their handhelds, but I mean, yeah, but they're not full fledged pack-ins. Well, sometimes they are. Um, but yeah, this is kind of neat that you know you get an actual, really good actually, um, Super Nintendo game, an enhanced version of it with it when you buy it. We're not just shilling this. Oh, I will probably get this. I was uh, thinking about getting the mini. Uh, the mini NT, I probably would, I think, hold out and get this instead. Especially because of what we talked about in the, what you hopefully heard with good audio. Um, <laughs> if, if this is jailbroken, then there's really, I mean, this should it's, be able to do everything this the, could the be, NT mini does. Yeah, this could be playing every system, potentially, in theory, 16-bit backwards in time. Yep. That's incredible. That's a game changer. And an HDMI with upscaling. You want to play ColecoVision? On your HDMI TV, there you go. Yeah. This is a viable solution versus somehow modding your ClickVision. Has that ever been done? A modded ClickVision? I'm trying to think about. It. I've seen every old I'm console sure. modded. I'm, I'm trying sure to think. Hey, I want to play Dracula on a television for Halloween in HDMI. Well, potentially next Halloween you can do. It. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying you can. I don't know. I don't know if he has an Intellivision core. Does he? Uh, Ketris is a genius. Maybe he does. Maybe he does. Probably. Sorry. Anything else to say on this? No. Go back to the bad audio. Yeah, yeah. I know. We're at a convention. What do you want me to do? Deal You're, with it. <laughs> don't 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 you know? Don't be too mean. Hey, to sit on it. All right, Ian. What else is going on here? Sony. Sony is going to be. Uh, Sony created a new imprinter, a new um, uh, label um, called Unties under. Um, it's uh, under Sony Music, actually, um, and uh, Sony Music Entertainment will be using this label on ties to um, publish games and software um, for uh, not just PS4, but also PC and, uh, somewhat surprisingly, Switch. Um, Mm. So, Mm. pardon me. This is unique. Well, it's not unique, but it's, it's interesting because everyone these days kind of tends to think of Sony as the PS4. And people might think of this as being weird that Sony is going multi-plat or something like that. But I think people forget that Sony is a massive, massive company. Media conglomerate. A media conglomerate. Which is semi in trouble. With multiple branches. And something like Sony Music Entertainment, despite having the word Sony in it, really has nothing at all to do with what we think of in terms of PlayStation. So even though it's Sony that is going to be technically publishing this tiny metal game that is going to be on the the uh, Nintendo Switch, it's kind of so far removed from PlayStation that it it's it's not as weird I think as people would want it, to, would want to think. It's not like being spearheaded by the PS4 team. Exactly. It's entirely it's over there. They're in a different building. They eat in a different cafeteria. You know, what I mean? like, right. they they don't interact with each other. You know, when you actually look at the game itself, 
you mean okay, this makes sense. This isn't like this isn't like a big AAA title. No, it's not. As, it's it's not like a, a big PS4 title you're going to see advertised on TV coming to the Switch. So it's like it, it it's not as it's not as insane as when you first read read the the headline. Yeah. So what they say is Sony Music says Unties has been set up to unearth high quality indie titles and utilize Sony Music Entertainment's vast entertainment business wisdom in order to expose them to as many consumers as possible. Yeah. So if you have a smaller indie game, why would you just put it on the on the PS4? You're not going to get people to buy the PS4 just to play indie games. You want to put that indie game everywhere, you'll make a lot more money. You might as well, you know... Throw it out there. Throw it out there. And, put it on and, Steam. And, yeah. and have everyone buy it and, yeah. and reap the money. You're throwing away money. It, it's, it's... In a way, it's sort of how, like, how Microsoft owns Minecraft now. Or Mojang sure. and Minecraft. But... It's not really talked about, and Minecraft is on everything because yeah. it's just one of those properties where it doesn't make sense for you to just keep that all to yourself. Yeah, you're just diversifying where you're making money via publishing, and it's not necessarily tied to, you know, your spearheaded business property of your hardware. Right. Like I said, it's removed. It's almost like another company entirely. So when you see Sony again, Sony is a huge. I mean, Sony used to make laptops. They stopped doing that. Uh, the the Veo laptops. They used to make little little handheld camcorders. I think they stopped doing that. I think they still make regular camcorders. They still make TVs, I think, kind of, but no one buys them. Right. Do they? Do people buy Sony TVs anymore? I don't so, I mean, so. that it's it's one of the, you know, Sony's a gigantic, gigantic company here. So, yeah. They're not going to be eating at the cafeteria again next, you know, next further. This isn't like Uncharted 5, you know, the, the you know, the next Uncharted is going to be multi-platform or anything. But, hey, maybe that'll happen if Sony says, hey, we're done with this hardware thing. We're, we're not making enough money doing it, right? I mean, that could happen with something like Sony. Who knows? So so freaking uh, so freaking big. Do you know anything about this this game itself? Other other games coming out. Uh, let's see. This isn't the first. Okay, I'm reading this article from Gamespot. This isn't the first time Sony has published games on non-PlayStation consoles. Sony Online Entertainment has previously published games such as Planet Side Two and Payday: The Heist on PC. Okay. So I mean that to me is. I mean, lots of companies do that sort of stuff. Well, I, Microsoft has been doing that for a long time on uh, Xbox and PC as well. You know, so. you know who will never do that? Nintendo. Nintendo's <laughs> never still going to be publishing uh, their stuff there. Yeah. So, this is a this is a sad one. Um, I'm sad. EA is uh, EA shut down Visceral Games. Um, I think probably uh, last week. Um, we didn't quite get it. To, we didn't get to it. We were prepping for Portland Retro Gaming Expo, but it's still worth touching on. Um, Visceral was actually before we get into the larger problem with EA. Um, Visceral was actually uh, was born from EA within uh, the studio. W- used to be EA uh, Redwood, I believe. And after the success of Dead Space, it became Visceral Studios. Um, it put out the three uh, Dead Space games, which were, um, for the most part, quite critically acclaimed and very unique. Uh, it also put out some games like Battlefield Hardline, among other things. It was also working on a, um, a Star Wars game that was being developed by, uh, directed by Amy Hennig, who was uh, responsible for Uncharted 1, 2, and 3. Uh, she had left Naughty Dog and had gone to Visceral to work on this Star Wars game, and it was going to be a single-player Star Wars game, or at least it seemed like that was going to be the main focus, Was it was going to be single-player. Um, 
they shut it down. Uh, they shut down Visceral, um, and the game is uh, going to be reworked. The single-player Star Wars game is going to be reworked from its current form. In its current form, it was, as, as it says here by uh, EA's Patrick Sutherland, in its current form, it was shaping up to be a story-based linear adventure game. Throughout the development process, we have been testing the game concept with players, listening to the feedback about what and how they want to play, closely tracking fundamental shifts in the marketplace. Mm. It has become clear that to deliver an experience that players will want to come back to and enjoy for a long time to come, we need to pivot the design. Okay. Which means they're going to turn this into Destiny or The Division. Multiplayer for sure. Games as a service, which is basically what everything has to be. We spoke at, about that in the podcast like a year ago. Yeah. That's the shift. And that and, and at EA especially, this is basically what everything has to become. That's a, it's a crying shame because there is still room in the market for a story-based, like I said, linear adventure game. There is. I, I mean, it may not be as big. It may not make as much money, but there is a market for that. It's just, is this telling that that market's now shrunk to the point that you won't have a AAA publisher doing it anymore? That's going to be the big question. Or or, or to, to the same extent. Well, I mean, I saw a really good... I mean, I, I, I'm so out of it, but I saw a really good graphic that showed pictures of games um, that was like, thank you for still making single-player games, uh-huh. and it said, not you, with an EA-like logo in the uh. center. But, you know, it showed, like, Atlas and Persona 5. It showed Mario... Or it showed Nintendo and Mario Odyssey. You know, it was showing all of these, you know, good single-player games that had come out in the past, you know, year or so, year and a half or so. But um, really what this comes down to is is greed. There's no... There's so much more money to be made in a, um evolving online game that you can keep dragging people back into, then there is a tight, wrapped-up, story-driven single-player game. Yeah, so but not like, everyone wants to play online. Sure. You and, know? and it's a different experience. You can't tell the same story, uh, a neat package story, with multiplayer like you can do with single-player. And they try, and, and, and some games succeed better than others, but like the first Destiny was miserable at doing that. Um, the Division was pretty bad at it. Destiny 2 is actually a, a step a step in the right direction, but it's still not an ideal storytelling um, medium when, when you're doing trying to do it as a games, uh, games as service. So, you know, it sucks because now, you know, we're not going to get to see people, see other people's take um, on the Star Wars universe in game form with the story because now what we're going to have is a you know, just a bunch of people running around, you know, probably grinding the same quests over and over again. And the story's going to be very loose. Not to mention that we've now, you know, a bunch of people have lost their jobs. And sure. the larger point here is that if you like a studio, you better hope to God or whatever that EA does not get their hands on it. Uh, I mean, they ruined Westwood. They ruined uh, Origin. They ruined... Um, uh, I mean, they absorbed Bioware, and while Bioware has not been shut down yet, I mean, it's, it's you know, they've basically ruined them. Um, EA has a very long and bad history of acquiring and then shutting down and ruining studios. Well, well, that's, that's, that's depressing. But, I mean, that's what happens when you swap smaller companies. You, you never, you never ends up with more jobs created yeah. and with less. So, I mean... EA at this point is it, it's it's really kind of gross and um, yeah 
I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot more to say on it that hasn't no. already been said other than um, it, it's it's clearly a money move. And I mean, it's a shame. They've been working on this game for, what, a couple years at least now? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, this isn't like they just started like a month ago and made the shift. So people were working on this game and want to see this come out. I'm trying to pull up the list of uh, companies they've, they've, they've shuttered. They've swallowed. They've yeah. swallowed. I, I I had it and now I've I've lost it. But anyways, yeah, it was it, it it's a long list. So, so you hope that the future won't be like you know the next Uncharted game, no single player anymore. We'll just have an Uncharted, uh, yeah, wide open world where you come in and play with everyone else and just have it be an unfocused mess I'm, of a game. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay. I'm interested in the idea of some games taking an MMO-style approach with, with different mechanics. But not every game can but do that. But not every game. I don't need that for every game, because then every game feels the same. And, and plus, it's, it's a time waster. It it's is. like, maybe I want to only spend 20 hours on a game and not 1,000. Right. Sorry. Exactly. I, got a, I got a mortgage now. I, I've, always, I've always said that I will take a short... Um, a short quality experience over something that's artificially padded and longer. I, I honestly have no problem with a game being seven hours long if it's really, really good. That's fine. I'm good with that. that. That's worth 40, 50, 60 bucks, right? Yeah. I mean, we a we movie spend is, 15 bucks on a yeah. fucking movie. I was say, a movie used to be 12. Now it's $15. Somehow every year it goes up $1.50. Yeah, 15 bucks for a crappy two hour movie and you only see it once and you can't play it again. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's why I'm actually happy that uh, when Bethesda just came out recently and said the new Wolfenstein game won't even have multiplayer. Yeah. Single player. We're focusing on that. All, I, we're putting it all into that and a cool story, you know, and cool level design, and that's what you want. That you, is something I love about Bethesda is they are, um, they seem very much single player focused first and multiplayer focused second, if at all. Because when you think of Wolfenstein, you're not thinking of, oh, the awesome multiplayer experience. You want the cool story. Right. I mean, so... Again, it's all about resources. If you have a limited number of resources and time, and you got to chunk away people from single player to multiplayer, both are going to suffer if you don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. You're going to do a half-ass. You want a half-ass multiplayer mode or an awesome single player mode versus just a, like a decent or good one. So I'm hoping that the industry doesn't all lead here. Some will hang on for dear life, but it's it's interesting that you know there used to be really cool single single player Star Wars games. We grew up with them. And now it's like, will we see one ever again? Probably That's not. At least a triple-A one? They used to all be single-player. Like, you didn't play fucking... I mean, it was like X-Wing and TIE Fighter and Dark Forces 1 and 2 and Jedi Knight. And then it was, oh, they tried like multiplayer with X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, and that sucked. Yeah, it was awful. That sucked a lot. I played it for like a week and never played it again after I bought it. You know, it, it was sucked. It was sucked. It, it was, was sucked. It was a suck. It was a so suck. We knew back then, 20 years ago, it was a suck. Not having a single player, you know, going back to the arcade game, you know. Yeah. That was cool. It was single player. Well, I guess, you know. I didn't alternate. play the Empire Strike. They had the Empire Strike. I did not play the I arcade at PRGE because you don't see that one too often. I meant to. Conversion kit. And I didn't. Get, I, I played it before, but you, you see that like 10% yeah, of the time. You, yeah, you never see it. Damn it. I need like a whole weekend of playing the arcade games. Okay, we're getting off topic. Okay. Loot Crate. They're back again. Go to lootcrate.com slash pat, enter code pat to save 10% on any new subscription. The theme for November, Ian, is Unite 
Oh. This is going to be a good one. This is kind of revisiting one of their more popular ones, I think. I remember the original. Yep. It's going to have Justice League of America, Voltron, Overwatch, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, All of that stuff was huge the first time around. Um, The Power Rangers shirt, I think, is one of the most recognizable shirts probably. I wear that still. Yeah. um, Same with the Voltron one. Um, This also includes a free download, the first full season of Batman, the Telltale series. It's $25 game on Steam. Steam thrown in there as well. So you have until November 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to order this. One, there's also loot wear. You can try that. That that's my girlfriend steals all the socks out of that. There's sometimes like a like a freaking soccer jersey in there. It's really good. You can get loot pets. You want your pet to be geeked out? You can do loot pets. The only one that has a loot pets. Maybe we can get one for Spike. I yeah, he'd be real happy. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's what you got there. And and this stuff's exclusive. It's, it's good stuff. Again, this is valid through November 19th. Go to lootcrate.com slash pat. Use code pat for 10, 10% off any new subscription. And you'll get the sequel to one of the more popular loot crates of the past year or two. All right, Ian, this was an announcement that happened right before uh, PRGE. I, I kind of knew this was in the works, uh, but then it was recently announced, and this is this is good news for what I think is a good company. Uh, we're talking about limited run games. <laughs> Sorry, I have so many goddamn tabs open on my on my <laughs> computer here. Uh, <laughs> so, limited run games uh, made the announcement through a, a, a series of um, very obvious lead-up tweets. Yeah, they were giving away a Switch. <laughs> a, a Switch. I, I retweeted it. And a uh, an SNES Mini. Um, but they have announced that they have been given the clear and the go-ahead, and they will be making physical copies of indie games uh, for the Switch starting in 2018, basically uh, continuing to do the great work they do for um, the Vita and the PS4 system. And um, PC. And, and PC, yeah. That's right, they do it for PC as well. So this is going to be, I think, fantastic. Um, the reason is, I, I, I for whatever reason, I, I, I think there's a lot of similarities right now between... Uh, switch the switch community and and between the the Vita community almost in that there was a there's a lot of focus on indie games good indie games on um, those systems and uh, lots of them do not or did not have physical releases and that's where um, limited run stepped in and kind of fixed the problem for people who wanted to support those developers a little bit more Um and ever since I got a Switch, I was really hoping that Limited Run would find a way to uh, get in there and, you know, release some of these physically. Um, and I didn't really think it would happen, I, knowing just Nintendo's weirdness, persnicketiness, you know, with this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Nintendo, I, I, the Nintendo eShop is already a goldmine of indie titles, some of which I don't think, uh, you know, are on PS4 or say, um, you know, Vita titles like Golf Story and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I want to I want to get that one. I see I see you talking about the game. See Norm playing it on Twitch. Yeah, so you know, I I, I think it's going to be a, a very very good um, venture for uh, them, and I'm just very excited to see it. And I'm I'm excited. Um, I, I, 
it, to me, it's just also very interesting from the Nintendo side to see Nintendo willing to do this. Yeah, that's what I say. This is huge news because I, I don't remember any time where Nintendo would let a third party just publish physical, like me, like media for their for their system this easily. Right. Um. I mean, it's well. I'm sure it took them a lot of work, but still, like just the fact that they're doing it. Just the fact that they got through sure. because on the NES. If if you were if you were a licensed publisher, that didn't happen until Acclaim started doing that later on in the life, and that was probably pulling teeth to do that. Right. You know, Nintendo was doing it all themselves. So this is Nintendo. It shows that limited run in a short time, only what uh, two, two years, years has built. We talked about PRG two years ago has built up the, the, the cachet that Nintendo trusts them to do a good job. Yep. To do that, because like I said Nintendo is extremely conservative. Recently, though, it seems like something's been turning that they're starting to realize that there's other ways of getting games out there into the market as well. But this is important. This is great news. Great guys, Josh and Douglas at a limited run. This is also, I think, important because this also works as a marketing tool for some of those indie titles that people wouldn't have discovered on their own. Yes. For a limited run, say, hey, we're going to spotlight these games that we think are cool and you might want a, a nice digital, co- uh, co- excuse me, physical copy of. We can get it out there and be like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe and maybe it kind of fills gaps here and there if there's not a lot of AAA titles coming out at that point in time. This is just a win-win for both sides, obviously. Yep, and they always have nice manuals, posters. Oh yeah, you stickers know. or something, something, some feelies, yeah. as as you will. Yeah, and uh, so I, yeah, I it's going to be great, and it, it, it really does, I think, help independent developers. Sure. Um, Especially like early on in the Vita, as they were like pub- publishing, you know, some of these games, um, it encouraged a lot of fans of these games, I think, to double dip on certain titles um, who had already gotten it digitally mm-hmm. to go back and get copies physically. And I know, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I could say, like, say right now off the top of my head, um, if they were to get Tumble Seed for the, uh, the Switch physically, I already own it for. Uh, the switch digitally, I'd, I'd, I'd buy it again physically. Like that's a good thing for developers. Um, when, when, when limited run puts these games out, when they start working with the existing back catalog, it can encourage a lot of people to buy the game again, which is more money for the developer. Do you have an idea what you think might be targeted for that? Maybe, I think maybe Tumble, golf story. I, I, I think golf story could be targeted. I think tumble seed could be targeted. Cause I don't think anyone, um, I think tumble seed would be a great choice. Golf Story would be a great choice. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, Blaster Master uh, Zero could be a great choice. Okay. Um, although they may, although Inti Creates probably already has uh, something. I thought, I thought I saw Blaster Master at GameStop. Was that just a digital one for sale? Yeah, probably. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least for me, those those two right off the top of my head are the ones that I think make a lot of sense. You also accomplish a, a few things at the same time. I mean, I'm not sure how different the price will be versus the digital one. You think Nintendo probably says you got to stay within reasonable range of, say, if like Golf Store is like 15 bucks, maybe it has to be close or not too far off because they don't want to kill their own digital sales at the same time. It'd be interesting to see how that works out. Sure. Because Nintendo hasn't really gone into this before, you know. But it didn't seem to be a problem for Sony, and there were sure. some price differences there, too, obviously, to get a physical copy out. So I, I honestly don't. It's good though for we'll see. Yeah, it was also good for hell. You save space because you don't have a hell of a lot of space on on your on your Switch unless you buy a card. Yeah, so that's this, good. Well, I mean, I mean it works is, that way too. It's it, it's all yeah. It's one of the reasons. I, <laughs> it's a, it's one one of the reasons why it was also a great thing for the Vita was you know the memory cards were super expensive for the freaking. Oh yeah, for those proprietary. You know, so having people. the physical copies was well. Well, the, well, the good news nice. is they're not proprietary on the Switch. Yeah, I would I would have lost my mind if that was the case. But also, 
Preservation. We always come back to preservation, and Limited Run is great for that. And now we got physical copies, and right there. So, yeah, it could be if, like, Golf Story comes out and has a couple of little feely stuff or a cool little manual, I'd be like, hey, if it's a few bucks more, I'll get that version. Right. Why not? But I, I really want to want to play that one in particular. I keep coming back to that one because that one seems like it's catching fire uh, as, like, the, like, sort of indie game du jour for the Switch right now. You know, it just seems like that's it. Please like, that's, give Tumble Seed a physical release. <laughs> you, I love, well, I, I you, fucking love. You, you might know the limited run guys is sort of nudge and be like, "Hey, <laughs> hey, come on, this game." Hey, tumble seed. Hey, I, I'm the only one who wants it, but come on, let's do it. No, uh, so w- w- next year, I'm sure there'll be more news when they when they announce the 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 titles that are out there. But great news on a company that um, only two years ago we were talking about just starting, just starting. I'm like, hey, they're coming out with a freaking Vita physical title. What is this? And now they're going on. Uh, the hottest could be the hottest holiday seller this season, the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Speaking of the Nintendo Switch, Ian. Speaking of it, this is not maybe a watershed moment for Nintendo, but it's it's exciting that we're getting to the point where we have a a good amount of third party titles coming out that people actually want on a Nintendo console. This hasn't happened in probably like fifteen years. You know, where like you're getting oh. AAA titles coming out, not from Nintendo, that people might actually, who own the Nintendo system, will buy. Right. I mean, didn't really happen with the Wii. Definitely didn't happen with the Wii U. It might have happened with the GameCube a little bit. Yeah. You, know, you got to go back to be to really... Uh, I'd be interesting to see like the history of, of this, to see when was the actual time where something like this happened at this rate. I think rate. the GameCube was the last time there was any really solid third-party support. When you said, oh, you got Resident Evil 4 on there. You know, and you got... Oh, I mean, Ca- I mean, Capcom ended up porting most of that stuff. But, no, the GameCube had third-party support. The Wii, the third-party support was... It, it was there, but it was uh, it ended up being shovelware pretty quick. They weren't the same games. Yeah, they, or, they weren't the same games, or they were just... It was third-party support making minigame compilations. And then by the time you get to the Wii U, first or third-party support was dead six months in. It was dead six months in. So, in one week, we're going to have... Skyrim, yeah, Skyrim, yes, it's an old game, six, seven years old. Doom, only a year old. L.A. Noir, yes, seven years old. But they're it's, all coming but out. But it's the remake that all the other systems are getting, or yes. the remaster. And so. they're new to you because they they weren't on a Nintendo console ever before, and they are different enough from the other games out there that people will actually purchase them on a Nintendo console. That to me is the important part. That's not why when you say, well, they've been out before, doesn't matter. Because the marketing appeal of a game like Doom being on the Switch, someone like me will buy it, or I'll, I will rebuy L.A. Noir just so I can have a portable version on the Switch. I'm not turning on the 360 ever going to play it, right? But I'll buy it on the Switch. Sure. That to me is the huge difference. Yeah. Doom multiplayer at a convention, easily with the with you know playing with a few people in the same room. That's the appeal of that. Skyrim. That's sort of me, the interesting one to see whether or not that will catch on with people as much. Because if you if you already want a big open world experience, you already had that with Zelda. So that to me is sort of the, maybe that one won't do as well. We'll see. The Skyrim one, I, I don't think anyone can gauge anything by the, 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 the Nintendo port of Skyrim. Yeah. Only because Skyrim has been ported to fucking everything. Yeah, that's the one that, maybe that one won't do as well, but you're still getting it. So someone will buy it. Yeah. Someone might buy it. Oh, I played 800 hours of Zelda already. Some people have, so I'll I'll buy something that is portable. I can play it. I mean, hell, the fucking commercials. That was the first thing you saw. Going from my hotel room when I'm 25 to 
on the taxi to the airplane playing Skyrim. Yeah. And then back to another hotel. Who's traveling with Skyrim? And play- I don't know who this person is. They're tra- traveling all the world playing Skyrim, but haunting my dreams. Anyway, so what's interesting is that Skyrim will probably look and play pretty well. It's a seven-year-old game. Yeah. Won't be as intensive. Um, Doom, uh, we already know it's probably going to be locked at 30 frames. Yep. So you're going to have a cut-down resolution. Might even be, be below 720p. Maybe five five forty or whatever. So it'll be closed up. The screen's fucking small. You're not gonna be able to tell that much of a difference on a screen. On your TV, yes, but maybe on the TV it'll be a little well, better. Well, it can switch the resolutions based on whether switch. it's docked or. Yeah, I'm sure you, you get the more more juice on it on a TV be yeah. better. And LA Noir, um, I actually had the pleasure of speaking to one of the people on the dev team uh, a little while ago at a convention, and so it was it was a, it, can't say too much but it it was it was a little bit of a challenge pouring that over but it's going to look good and then, again the frame rate will be dropped obviously to account for that so what's interesting though is that this is not make or break for the switch but this holiday season with these games coming out and obviously you have the the Odyssey bundle and Odyssey which comes out we're recording this in what 5 days mm-hmm. or a few days the 29th comes out th- this is it like this is if, if the momentum continues from March, remember this was a, people. This was a March release, so the fact that it's been selling this well from a March release is pretty good. And they're finally getting restocked in that you can actually buy one. My Target, you could buy it. Past few That's times it. I've been at our local Target, they've been in low supply, but they've been there available. Yep, which means that they're manufacturing probably that they, they've hit that sort of sweet, sweet spot, spot right before the holiday season starts when they're going to have them all over the place. To, you know, besides the SNES class, yeah, there's been a, there's been anywhere between like three and you know five at any given time, meaning that they're probably getting them in and they're selling them, but they're still know. selling them. Yeah, they maybe sell only a few a day at each location, but they're selling them. Yep. You know, um, so if this if these games do well, and obviously if they sell millions of Switch this holiday season, which I think they will, um, then by early next year, you're going to have AAA developers and publishers going, ooh, wait a second. We thought this might be a success, but now we know, based on the numbers, that if we bother to port over our game to the Switch, if we we know we can sell a certain amount and make our money back, we're going to do it. Right. Because obviously, with the Wii U, it failed miserably that after that first holiday season. Yeah. It was done. It was done by that holiday season. Remember, the Wii U came out, what was it, like in November of 2012? Yeah. And then you could say that console was dead by the next March. Like, you knew that was it. Oh, sure. They wasn't. They weren't going to get any any significant games on there. They had nothing. Li- well, I mean, Nintendo. We don't need to talk about the Wii U anymore. <laughs> but I'm saying that's the difference with the Switch. Yeah. You, I think they're still hedging their bets until the holiday season, and then once you get to next year, you might see like if La Noire does well, and if Rockstar takes notice, and uh, maybe we can get a little bit of Red Dead on there. Maybe we'll see. Uh no. Okay, you don't think so? Nope. Don't think Red Dead's happening. No, they that. at all. Mm-mm. That game is looking way too intensive, system intensive. Can't lock that down at 20 frames? <laughs> 20 frames I don't think that one's going to be... GTA be 5 port? Possibly. Something like that? Yeah, that's a possibility. But even that would be a big win. Yeah. I'd buy I'd buy GTA 5 on the Switch. I'm, I bet at, at this point, this, this is fine for me, these ports. Let's see how these ports do. Let's see how these ports sell. But after that, I'm not interested in ports. I'm interested in support and u- unique games. Well, sure. You know Wolfenstein is going to come out. Yeah. So that's a huge, big biggie. And so, you know, I just think, uh, I don't know how much better the Switch could be doing at this point. Like, I think everything's been falling into line. I hate to say almost perfectly, but almost 
as not just me, other people have said, this is what needs to happen for the Switch to be successful. Yeah, survive. Survive on Zelda until Mario Kart. Mario Kart does well. Survive until Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Odyssey is going to be gigantic. From early reviews, it's a 10 out of 10 game. They have two 10 out of 10 first party games in the course of within seven months. That's incredible for a system. That's like, what else do you need to get to get on the right foot? Some third party support. You sell out holiday season or sell as many as you can. The next year, okay, what's lined up? Now we know the system's success. It'll be around not for only four years or three years. It'll be around for a long time. So, all right, there you go. This is an interesting article that is both discouraging and encouraging at the same time. Um, it has to do with the world's... This is from uh, Kotaku's Compete, I guess, imprint. World's best Smash 4 players worn down by haters and harassment. This is the tale of Gonzalo Zero uh, Barrios, who has been the, the best or one of the best Super Smash Brothers uh, players for a long time. And just extol... You have to read the article to get get the full story out of there. And I read it, already forgot some details. But it has to do with just the, the insane pressure of being a top player in your genre and field. Um, competing at that high level, how people come down on you for being the best player and hating on you for being the best player because you're quote-unquote unlikable. You're not charismatic enough. You're not friendly enough. He's, and and you, he's also not from the United States. Not from the United States, too. There could be something to do with that. Slight xenophobia. What has to do with that? And they interview him, um, talking about the experience. And this is a player that came from a different country that really, this was make or break for him. Yeah. It's not like this, this, this kid had a lot of money. He had to succeed at Smash Brothers in order to pretty much make a career for himself or make a living. Otherwise, he was going back home with nothing. Right. Back to South America. He told his mom, give me a year to see if I can make Smash work. Otherwise, I'll come back home. So he had to take it super, super seriously. He had to treat this like, you know, this is this is like, um, say you're like a professional, I don't know, say you're like a professional tennis player that happened to make it and you're playing for yourself and the only way you make money is winning. If right. you're if you're a pro tennis player, you know, like if you're starting out low, you have to build yourself up. Same sort of thing, and he did it. He did it on small events, the big events, uh, playing what he played was playing mostly mostly uh, Smash Wii U. It sounds like yeah, Smash Four, uh, which I guess is that one going to be around in the future? You think overall? I think I think Melee is still a more popular one, right? Nah, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the, well. We could get into a long discussion. It goes back to things like controllers and et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, I mean, I think Smash 4 is, is definitely here. Sure. Okay, until the Switch one comes out. And then... <laughs> so, okay. So, this is what some of his accolades, uh, since I'm not familiar with the Smash tournament scene. He won 56 consecutive tournaments in 2014 and 15, including Evos, which is the biggest one. The one I actually will watch. I'll watch Evo. Um so four years climbing runs in Smash 4 rankings has amounted to a life clouded by harassment. Week after week, Barrios, originally from Chile, but now in Chicago, makes a living. He makes a living doing this, competing on a game whose American fans, a lot of the time, hope he loses loudly and with malice. And in between each public appearance, his social media is an open channel for strangers 
insults. Barrio says, a lot of people hate me because I'm the best player. Nobody wants to be the bad guy every single weekend. Maybe I can be that guy for a year or two, but when you're doing it for four years, it takes a toll on you. Is it worth it to go to these ne- go through these negative emotions for three days of a tournament, win the money, come back home and see more of it? Is it really worth it for your soul? Does it make you feel complete? Is this something you want to do for the rest of your life? People go to these things to have fun, to relax, and they're not out there with their necks out like I am. Dude. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I don't want to do this. No. It's supposed to be fun. Right. I mean, if you're the best player, you're targeted, you're hated because you're good, because you're the best of the best. I, it's mind-boggling. It, it is. And, I mean, it, 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 reading stuff like this is why I would never, ever want to even try to get into competitive gaming. It, I mean, nothing... I read the article. You know, I, I, we were talking last night, right? You know, when we were doing our, our pre-stuff. And I said that I had read some of the article. And I went back and I, I read the rest of it. And it's just like... I mean, the whole thing is like... This is why... I mean, nothing about this makes competitive gaming sound fun. No. At least at that level. At, at, at that Maybe level. like a local tournament. Oh, sure. Local but, tournaments but, is different, uh, but like at, at that level, nothing about that sounds fun. I, I have no... I, I mean, where is the fun in that anymore? Sounds like even like his, his, his girlfriend's targeted for harassment because she's dating the best player. Well, let me put it this way for this. Um, like, you, you should... It, it's weird, and, but this happens with everything. When you're the best player... Or when people thought like Steph Curry was going to be the well, he was you know MVP a couple of years ago, everyone loved him. Then there's always that turn when people are tired of you being the best, and all of a sudden people come after Steph Curry because he's too good, or now they find things to dislike about him. And then now you have a bunch of Steph Curry haters out I there. I still love Steph Curry. But I'm saying, I know. <laughs> but it happens with every every big athlete. Yeah. Where like once you're on the top, people hate you. And then. You discontent for being on the top, like it's almost like, how dare you still be that good for that long, or how dare you be that above the rest? There's a weird jealousy mentality, and if you're a Smash uh, player out there and you see this one guy who's who, who's taking it deadly seriously, he's not like maybe he's not the friendliest guy when he's walking toward him because he's on walking on eggshells because he has to be the best to win. That's the mentality he has. His minus be razor sharp. You find another reason to hate the guy because he's not likable when you see him at tournaments. So instead of understanding that's how and why he's so good because he takes it deadly seriously, you then turn that against him. Instead of appreciating this man could be the best ever at this, what you love, you're now putting that as a strike against him. Right. And that's what's happening. So this guy can't win. If he wasn't acting like this, he wouldn't be in the position he is to be the best. He wouldn't have the mentality to be the best. Like people always hated Kobe Bryant on the Lakers because he acted super competitively, he wasn't the friendliest guy, but you know what? He had to do that to be the best, sure. or one of the best at the time. It just comes along with competitiveness and, and doing that. If you're going to play for fun, yeah, sure, but don't expect to be the best, unless you can, you know, win what? how many tournaments in a row? 56. 56. That's not luck. No. Right? That's, that's not, not like a slight edge. No, that's, that's extreme skill. And again, he was doing this to survive, to stay in in a different country right? in order to build a career doing that. But it seems like lately he's taken, he's had to take a break according to this article. It's just been too much, you know? So he's never, according to this, he's never attracted a fandom despite his rampage across U S tournaments. He figures that locals are pretty peeved to see some international player parachute, I love that phrase, parachute into their scene, defeat their heroes and make off with the loot. 
<laughs> Worst, Barrios' studied playstyle and top-tier fighter pick Diddy Kong came off as sterile and stiff compared to others' more risk-taking techniques. So I'm guessing you discovered that Diddy Kong, for whatever reason, was probably the, the best player competitively to use. But other people in the scene probably thought it was cheaper to use a player like that. Maybe, you know... I mean, when you play Smash Brothers, you're you're limited to what works the best. Sure. Because there's only so many different moves in Smash you can do. You know, it's not as complex for the most part. People are going to attack me as what I see other fighting games. You know, you have a more limited number of attacks, and it's just focusing on what actually works and accomplishing them. Right. And so maybe the, maybe if he perfected a style that works, that's it. That's what he's going to do. He's going to have his. He's not going to take risks. He's going to play it safe. If you don't like the way it looks on screen, tough shit. Right. That's why he's 156 in a row. Figure it Figure it out. Figure it out, yep. Figure it out or yell at Nintendo to make a character that isn't that great to play with that. Does he have anything more to add about this? No. No? People, people come after him for being disgraceful, camping in a game, you know, running out the clock. It's like he's winning. Beat him. If you can't, you know, just beat him. If you think you can beat him, if you want to knock him off his pedestal, beat him. Don't yell at him. Don't harass him. He's received death uh, t- uh, ten death threats too, for for being good at a fucking video game. That's just ridiculous. It's, just, it's disgusting. So I'm hoping he takes he takes a you know a nice sabbatical, and then he comes back strong and and you know, hopefully there's a balance of fun versus competitiveness for this for this uh, for this person. There was a meltdown of a forum recently. I think they just came back up online in the past day or so. They did. So, uh, over the weekend, uh, well, maybe Thursday, Friday, well, while we were in Portland, uh, NeoGAF, uh, the uh, NeoGAF... Um, was one gaming, of, age, gaming Age Forums originally? The, the Neo Gaming, yeah, the New Gaming Age Forums, which started in 2006, um, <clears throat> headed by a guy named Evil Lore, uh, whose real name is... Tyler Malka? Yeah, Tyler Malka. Um was found to be basically in disarray and shut down for uh, scheduled maintenance um, due to some issues, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, Basically, NeoGAF, um, like we said, was the continuation of the Gaming Age forums, which shut down, I believe, in 2004 and reemerged in 2006. Well, it was a public forum. There was a uh, process to getting in. And um, bans, it was very easy to get banned, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the forum was known for being, uh, you know, a lot of industry people would post on that forum, industry insiders. Breaking news sometimes. Breaking news Le- sometimes. stuff from game devs. Yeah, leaks. Um, it was also known for being extremely insular, extremely clicky. Group thinky. Group thinky. Um and you know, while while valid things came out of it, uh, it was also you know largely uh, an echo chamber. Um, it was a, uh, a very it seemed to me very elitist um, in, in in ways. Um, but it did provide you know uh, th- like I like I like I said before, a lot of good things came out of it too. At times, um, you know, in terms of information and in in uh, more in depth details into stories. Uh, you know, development process and things like that. So it had its good sides. Um, Tyler Mulka was accused by a film director, um, Ema Leop, um, 
of following her into the bathroom naked and getting into the shower with her after she repeatedly told him not to. She didn't ask him to come in. Didn't ask him to come in. You just decided you're showering, I'm going to come yeah, in. Yeah, they were uh, two years ago. Let's see. Let's see. Mass Exodus was... Okay, that was from the Me Too phenomenon. Describes a trip Leigh says she took with NeoGAF owner Tyler Evil Lower Malka two years ago. Although she originally did not name him, she later posted in the comment of her thread that interested parties should Google Evil Lore. She said that while she and Malka, who was her friend, were drinking together in a New Orleans hotel room in April 2015, she became very sick. Then she says Malka came up behind her in the shower without her consent. She says she told him to get the hell out. I was throwing up and decided to hop in the shower to feel better. I was surprised when he got into the shower fully naked behind me. I had a boyfriend at the time and didn't think I had given him any reason to believe I wanted this. I didn't cheat. Um, Neil Gaff melted down. Um, a bunch of the uh, mods, quit. M- mods quit and stepped down. Um, and a bunch of people started uh, posting what they called suicide posts, which were posts basically begging to be permanently banned. So that which they... is easy enough on, on a site like that, from what I hear. Yeah, uh, from what I hear too. Um, basically, so that they would no longer be associated with the site in any way, shape, or form. They wouldn't be, you know, seen as having an active account there. Um, this. How do, I, how do I segue into what I want to say next? You go with your thoughts. We, we've talked about stuff that's come up on this site before for some information for podcast topics. So like you said, it's from what I hear, there, it's, a, it's a strange reputation, this website, where you have industry insiders and people that work in the industry posting there, reading there. But it sounds like you have a hive mind that exists there that sort of dominated there. And... <sighs> That's not good. I mean, there's no other way I can say it's sophistic- more sophisticated than that. It's, it's not good to be associated on a forum where you are, if you have any sort of critical argument that doesn't agree with the, the vast majority, you are either dogpiled on or you're outcast or permabanned or temporarily banned. I don't personally understand the need to be associated with that sort, sort of, of group. Um, it's just as bad uh, one side or the other. If you look at sort of, you know, uh, totalitarian t- type of thinking. Um, it's both sides, left and right. So it's a horseshoe shape. Once you go out the other way, you don't want to hear the other side, left or right. Um, but they, I always hear bad stories about uh, them uh, people threatening Boogie two nine eight eight when he was trying to be, you know, trying to look at sides of issues for stuff like uh, GamerGate or ethics and journalism because he wasn't all the way on one side. You know, people on NeoGAF w- went after him. Like, it's just like, okay, it, it was a, it was sort of a. a well, there was GamerGate, pro, there was pro GamerGate stuff on NeoGAF too. I mean, I mean I'm sure that was cleaned out though, uh, eventually, based upon the reputation of the site. Not, not always. Not Anyways, always, no. From what I hear though, whenever I hear uh, people uh, bring it up, YouTubers, it's almost always in a negative light, uh, how they are portrayed. Or, or thought about. For example, Ian. Oh yeah, they came. Uh, supposedly they they came after me at some point. I would love to have seen that because you guys all think Ian's the giant SJW. Well, Neil Gaff's associated with that sometimes. They went after Ian for for what? Because because you were calling people babies for wanting the Super Nintendo Classic. I don't know something <laughs> like that. <clears throat> but um, you know, uh, Malka denied it, and uh, as of today, I believe or yesterday, you know, Neil Gaff is is. 
uh, trying to uh, basically it's back up and it's trying to rebuild. Uh, I believe there's another board that is has been started called Reset Era by a bunch of the moderators. Um, what I'm hoping is that we see something occur that's less clicky, um, and we but we still you know find a place where. Um, you know, this news gets out. As far as Malka goes, uh, the guy seems like a total fucking scumbag. Well, this was... shit, because here's... I have a couple things to say about this, and this is where I wanted to go. Um, He's denied it, but it's not the first... It's not the first time there's been a problem with him. He's denied this, yet he wrote in a 2012 post. So he wrote about this. Groping a woman... I'm, I'm quoting this from a Verge article... Groping a woman who asked him to buy her a drink in a bar in order to show that I wasn't being taken advantage of. Let me get this straight. So he offers to buy a woman a drink, which is you know, a precursor to talking to them, interacting with them. So he figured to show... No, a woman asked him to buy asked her him. a drink, and then he groped her to show that he wasn't being taken advantage of. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. And then apparently he defended his actions in a follow-up post, then allegedly banned all of his critics. That's the most insane thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean... Be happy a woman buys you a drink. You know how rare that is? And and then, I mean, to ask... If a woman, no, a woman asked him to buy her a drink. Oh, well, okay, the, but still, it the doesn't whole make any thing's sense. insane. The, yeah. thing's, the whole thing's insane. That's even that's, but saying that's that's good. Someone, a woman wants to interact with you. You don't fucking go grope them. I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm so sad to say that. that they're not taking it. It's just so fucking. Then don't buy or, they, or don't buy them the vodka martini then. And then, right, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, you just, have a choice here, or just don't buy them. A drink. You have a choice. Don't buy them a drink. The the one choice is. That shouldn't be on the list of ABCs to grope them. That should not be a choice on the list. Right. The, the other choice is to that like, re, no, re, I don't, replace that choice with don't don't buy them a drink. Yeah, I'll keep the ten dollars in, in my pocket. I shouldn't grope you to, so, to justify it. This is why do I have to explain this? This is the sort of shit that makes me sick, though. And we've talked about it well, before with people like, um, uh, I mean, re- just recently with uh, Weinstein, and we've talked about it with other people before. Devin Faraci, Harry Knowles. This is a guy who supported a lot of um, uh, politically progressive causes, or Feminist at least stuff. said he did. And, you know, he, it turns out he's a fucking scumbag in the background. I, yeah, and, and it's bad, but this is because it fuels, this is why it's bad. Because then it fuels the the other side to say, "Whoa, everyone with with feminist ideals is a secret scumbag," which isn't true. Which isn't true. But and- but 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 there is some shade of truth to those that are usually sometimes the loudest espousing these are hiding some awful behavior. It can happen. You're hiding in plain sight, and that's happened with with assholes like Devin Faraci, for example. Sure. Pe- people like people like Harry Knowles. There's Harvey Weinstein. There's been a lot. Of people that have seemed to be in, on one side, and then they're they're secretly pieces of trash. Yeah, you know? and so it, it's fucking disgusting. And uh, I mean, no I, one wins. They're, 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 There's they're, no winner. They're fakers. Um, it, it it's it, it, in a way, it's it's the same sort of idea as on the right. You know, you've it, they're fakers, and they're horrible for the left and for progressives because then all of them get lumped in yeah. with it. Just like you have the alt right and the far right. You know, on uh, on the conservative side, and they make any Republican look like an uh, asshole. Right? Exactly. Yeah, and 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 I'm not I'm not a big fan from what I hear about this website. 
So don't celebrate the death of website or don't don't lump just because you visited the website obviously doesn't mean that you should be associated with with heinous actions. Because, because oh, the if you're a poster at, at NeoGAF, I know tons of people who posted at NeoGAF. This is not an attack against anyone. It's just no. the overall idea of the site was never something that gelled with me. And if you're a person attacking people for posting on it, guess what? I'm pretty fucking sure a forum or something you post on, there's probably people that run that too or behind the scenes might have done some awful things that you don't know about. Right. Probably. So you're not winning by attacking the death of a site just because... Um, you didn't like it before. I, I hate. I fucking can't stand anything that perpetuates what I think are, is just garbage culture war. And this is just one of those things. You know, whatever side. It's just I'm just fucking sick of it because it accomplishes nothing. No one wins because there's no communication happening to try to actually influence the thoughts and, and behavior of someone in a subtle way to get you to come over a little bit closer to your side. It's just. It's just, oh, I win this time, throw shit, until you lose and the shit hits you back in the face. That's basically what, what we've we've come to, politically and on social media. And I'm sort of sick of it. And I'm glad that uh, someone like this gets called out for their bad behavior. But the ramifications, it, 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 it's not going to be helpful in the end. It's just like, ha-ha, you were against Gamergate, now look what happened to you. So now everyone else that was against a certain online hashtag movement... Can we lumped in? No, it doesn't. That doesn't accomplish anything by, by saying that. So that's where I'm going to sort of leave that unless you have anything else to say. Um, Ian, yeah. this, is, this is a monumental day. This is, I'm, I'm very excited. Hold on. Very monumental day. You know what? They started with That's It Fruit Bars. I, I, I finally understood that. Yep. Then they went on to That's It Veggie. That's it, veggie bars. At that point... Which I eat almost one a day, by the way. Very good. It, me too. Uh, and we got... We, that At that point, we were more uh, understanding of what they were doing. Then we find out... We find out, speaking to That's It representatives, that they're coming out with That's It Bites. Motherfucking chocolate-covered... Dark chocolate. Dark chocolate-covered pieces. Fruit truffles. Of, 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 of That's It fruit bars. So, um... I haven't tried one of these yet, so I'm going to do it. This is uh, the coconut one, so it's the same thing. As, it's the same thing as the, the the fruit bars. It's this is these are the ingredients. This is insane. Apples, coconut, dark chocolate. That's it. And the dark chocolate is unsweetened chocolate, organic sugar, and cocoa okay. butter. All right, that's it. Do you want me to just eat everything, and that's it? From that's it. Is that what we're aiming at? We had dessert. We had snack and fruit. And now we have dessert. No <laughs> preservatives, gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, low-fat, low no soy. So a packet of these... Oh, truffle. The, a package of these is only 150 calories. There's, one, there's like five in here. Four grams of fat. I'm doing it. You're doing it? I've never done this before. <laughs> I'm going to package up right now. <laughs> this is so fucking good. Holy shit. Yeah, try this one no, it's what, holy shit. It's delicious. I've never had so much fun selling my soul. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know which one's better. I might like the bangle a little bit better. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. These are giant, by the way, when there's only like five in here, they're giant truffle size. Oh, that's what I was trying to, they're, I mean. They're not small. No, they're not. 
Oh my god, I got a hottie from, from the girlfriend. She's gonna steal them all. Oh, they're so good. So, uh, they apparently come right now in coconut. Um, mango. Mango strawberry. and strawberry. Okay. I mean, I don't know what else we need to say about these. This is, okay. There's a, wait. So, you're telling me in these, there's a whole, there's a whole apple in these five bites. So, this is technically dessert and a full serving of fruit. I'm looking at the ingredients. One apple, half a coconut, and chocolate. Right? Look in the back. Is that right? Yeah. Where does it, it tell you? I'm just looking at the graphic. All right, this is like one apple, yeah. one mango, and one, two, three, four. Well, well you think because the bar is about the same amount of stuff overall yeah. in here, so it's a whole apple. Yeah. I would guess so. I mean, I would... And we can't say for sure. <laughs> what I can say is that it's fucking delicious. <laughs> this is insane. So, uh, I mean, keep on doing what you're doing. I think we got we got Okay. Go to thatsitfruit.com. We got to wrap this up. No, I'm going to eat another one. Go, go, to that's, go to thatsitfruit.com. Use code CUPODCAST and you save 10% off your order of the fruit bars, veggie bars, or these insane That's It bites that... I'm going to try not to eat five packs of these a day. I'm so dead. They're also available at CVS. We just saw them this past week, and we saw That's It Fruit Bars at the 7-Eleven. So they're oh, out yeah. there. Everywhere. And we're eating some of this indulgent, guilt-free tri- treat. I guess it's guilt-free. Yeah. Big flavor, yes. Vegan, paleo-friendly, yeah. That it's was funny. Real quick. All natural. Lyft driver. Jesus Christ. Talking to a Lyft driver. Fuck me. Who's driving, driving me around. He's, we're talking about the podcast. He goes, he's real interested in like you know this sort of thing. He goes, so what kind of sponsors you got? And I'm like, oh, you know, these that next thing. And I say, uh, one of them's that's it. And he's like, oh, I don't know that. And I go, oh, they do like these fruit bars. And he goes, oh, the blueberry ones. <laughs> <laughs> so when we pulled up, I said, hold on, and I ran in and I grabbed him like six of the blueberry bars and gave them to him. And he just like looked at them like they were cool. These are so good. All right. Okay. One more. One more thing about this. This is just funny on, on our read here. Makes a great addition to a cheese board. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Why not? Sure. Do it up. A little fruit and chocolate on the side. Again, go to that'sitfruit.com. Enter code CU podcast. Save ten percent off any order today. And hit them up on Twitter. Say, hey, we just found out about the that's it bites. That's at that's it. Yeah, at that's it. I think. God, that's good. Okay, that's we're good done. Stuff. This is a whole topic now. Yeah, okay. This is just... This is what... Okay, so when we were talking at the beginning of of the podcast... got bites in my teeth. Um, When we were talking at the beginning of the podcast, we were mentioning how just sitting down for breakfast, you, you hear things, and things just happen at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. And uh, big things happen, and... Big things certainly did happen. Uh, other big things certainly did happen. And what happened is the SimCity NES ROM is uh, dumped and preserved safely in the hands of the Video Game History Foundation. All is well and good. And it seemed like it was very, very touch and go for a while there. We know the story. We're going to keep it. Uh, pretty freaking vague. Yeah, we 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 were following this for weeks. I I know we can we can we can say it's public how this happened. 
super collector, our pal, Steve, Steve Lynn, made a purchase just to get make sure the ROM got dumped and preserved. Right. A substantial purchase. I will say that. An insane purchase that... That's why Steve fucking rules. Yeah. He's a superhero. He's a superhero. Steve's, Steve's the superhero of the video game community and preservation. He is. So... Um, the ROM has been dumped. Um, it will be available at some point. Do not harass Frank about when that will happen. Frank Savoldi. Yeah. Um, the, uh, one of the cartridges has been, uh, sold. One is still in, uh, um, in the person's hands who found the cartridges. By the way, they were on display, both of them. Yep. At PRGE, that's where I I told the person I said I didn't delve too much into it because this is before we knew what was happening. It sounded like a lot of movement happened that week. Everything happened Saturday night. Okay, because uh, yeah, everything happens. Everything happened Saturday night. Um, this it, was this was my fear the whole time. As of Saturday night, things were looking at like at, as of Saturday, like at the uh, auction, things weren't so. Happy, maybe necessarily about uh, th- about prospects of this. The, the prospects okay. were looking kind of. I, I can a say little grim. you know, fuck it. I can say it because this has been resolved. Yeah, at this point, yeah, there was a chance that the ROM wasn't going to be dumped. That someone was going to purchase both for an insane amount of money and then lock lock both SimCity carts away potentially. Yeah, and which would potentially mean that no one would have access to the ROM. Which would be awful, obviously, for video game history, preservation, for the, and for the community. So, that was dire if that happened. I, I found out. I found out that I found out about dollar amounts. I heard, and I was like, "Shit." Yep. So again, this is great news, Steve. Steve, you are a hero, especially with other things that are going on. That you did this. This is fantastic. Big moves were made, and the next morning, Frank and I. Built the coal factory. Oh yeah, let's let's, let's, let's walk, walk me through the actual experience. Like it, it looked cute. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it was, it was. So I mean, obviously there it was out on the floor. I think it was on display. One, least, yeah, yeah, one was for play, and then yeah, one was, one, was out, one was out for play. So we weren't the first people to do this, but I uh, but, I, I went down to see Frank and uh, Frank was in it was in, in the, the museum. It was had all the Atari displays. Which had all the Atari displays, and I had gone to find him to you know. Um, basically make some donations and pick up some stuff to bring back home and give to some friends because um, they were giving away little video game history foundation uh, buttons and stickers and stuff, you know, for donations. And um, he was like, hey, check it out. And he points and it's on his screen. He's got the, the little file. I retweeted the I retweeted the tweet and he's just got the little file on there. And he's like, I think he said he he hadn't even fired it up yet, and he's like, I actually haven't you know messed around with it or played with it yet, and uh, so we fired it up, and uh, we're like, man, that's that's NES music we haven't heard. It was a new theme. Yeah, it was new. It was yeah, it was new music, and we're like, oh, that's that's good. <laughs> I'm like, that's a pretty title screen. Yeah, it is. So we, you were just reveling in it. Yeah, we were reveling in it for a minute. So we started it up, and uh, you know, just real quick, we put down like a residential area, and Bonnie and I and Frankerson. Then we put down a residential area, and then we go, well, we need power, so we put down some coal, 
a, uh, you know, a cold power. And then, um, you know, we realized we're starting to get a crowd and we're like, mm, okay. So we just, uh, go to <laughs> the disasters, pick monster and just watch the monster emerge from the, the sea comes out onto the, uh, was it Bowser? What was it? No, it was, it looked like it had big fucking horns. It wasn't okay. Bowser. Oh, but the mayor was in it with the green hair. Oh, look at the mayor in there. Yeah. The mayor was there. Okay. He's run. I mean, he's real cute. He looks like a, you know, an eight bit very, he's not as colorful, but he's, he, you know, he runs out on the screen screams, you know, and, you know, says, you know, Oh no, a monster's attacking. And the monster comes out and steps on the, the coal, <laughs> the, the coal factory. And, uh, and then leaves the residential area alone and just walks off into the water and Frank goes, well, I guess he doesn't like the pollution. And, uh, and then we just, we uh, just shut it down and that uh, was it. But it was, it was a cool, it, it was, was a cool thing. It was fun see. using the controller and the oh, arrow. It, it was, was fine. It was just, I mean, he, like was, Super Nintendo. he was just doing it with the, the keyboard. I mean, I was with the keyboard. Yeah, we were just doing it with the keyboard. What was, what was the sort of, uh, the, the map like, like who the hell is calling me now while you explain that? Uh, I don't know who's calling you now. Um, the the layout was you know fairly sizable. I mean, it looked just like Sim City, um, like you would expect it to look on the NES. I I mean, it looked like it like the PC version. I mean, people have seen the video of it, so you know. I mean, it's not like I can say it looked any different. Um, you know, it was just kind of magical to see the ROM file, I guess, on the. Uh, yeah, to just see the ROM file there sitting on a computer, knowing that it's safe. It's safe. It's it's it it's it has now been archived. So that was a great bit of news that happened. Uh, that was probably one of the, the 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 more, if not the most exciting thing I think that happened at that that period. Because there there's still ROMs out there that we don't know if they're dumped and saved somewhere from games that are unreleased. Oh yeah, and plus ones that haven't been found yet. I mean, Frank had the whole. I had a whole binder of box art of games that are right there. And I said, that one, I never heard of that one. I was, oh, yeah, those, those ones, we haven't even found the game yet. We don't know if those, where those games even are. There was a story. Yeah, I, I caught the last chunk of his panel, and he, like, pulled up a list of games ones where they, he was, they like. They always produce, but they don't know the ROMs. Basically, we should have ROMs of these, or there should, there should be ROMs of these available, but we don't know. Or, or something like that. So Basically, like, like a, a list of games that he's still trying to hunt down ROMs for. They know that, that the prototype's out there, or they there should be. There should be. Oh yeah, because there's one that uh, that came up. I I, I don't know if, I believe it was a I think it was a Color Dreams one that they know the guy who had the prototype, like whatever, twelve fifteen years ago, and he just disappeared. I think he brought that up at his panel actually. I remember I think it was Frank telling about it or someone else, and I was just like, yeah. So we don't know where the guy is, or the the only prototype we know of that game. Yeah, I think he actually told that exact story at his panel. And that's a real possibility. So people that are out there that are, could be hoarding these for whatever whatever reason, because you, you want to have something special locked away, like like that guy in Toy Story uh, locking away uh, in a limited edition of a game. Uh, what happens when... I hate to bring up keep death constantly, but what happens when you're gone or something happens and that game's lost to the annals of time, potentially? That's not good for anyone. You're not doing... You're, you're just being selfish if that happens. So, superheroes, superhero Steve helped win the day. Um, the good, the good guys won. The good guys won, and I'm happy this is out there. Maybe a certain NES punk might talk about this game in the future. We'll see. It could, be, it could be something special. We'll see. Ian, yeah. Fifth anniversary of Blue Apron, proud sponsor of the CU Podcast. Yummy food delivered to your door. Fresh ingredients, simple to follow instruction card. Sustainable farmed. Sustainable farm, locally sourced. 
Good stuff. Congratulations to them. Um, great way to bring people together to cook. Uh, good portions, good prices. Um, I've not had a bad meal that I've made. No. Um, it's all good. Um, Blue Apron is uh, a way for you to have meals delivered to your home. Uh, they do it in either uh, you know, uh, two servings or four servings. Um, you can... Uh, you know, choose how many meals you would like to have delivered. Um, you can skip weeks. You can skip weeks. You can do it per week, twice a month, whatever you choose. And uh, they send you everything you need. Um, everything is portion controlled so that there is no waste of product. So say you want to try making a uh, Korean dish. Um, instead of going out and buying all those ingredients and perhaps never using those sauces or the rest of the vegetables again, you get everything you need to make that dish and nothing goes Nothing goes bad. For the fifth anniversary, they're doing something special. They're going to have an all-time customer's favorites uh, list here, I guess, of, of recipes they're bring back. Go to blueapron.com slash CU podcast, and you'll also get $30 off your first meal with free shipping. Mm. So there you go. So that's, hey, what do you got to lose, right? What yeah. do you got to lose there? You can try it out. And like I said, these portions are considerable. and You, you can do it for either, uh, what is it, either for... Uh, uh, three people or for was it for four? It's it's or two or two it's or four. Two four serving. It, it's two meals for four people or three meals for, for two, two people. people. That's right. So you have three either three different meals delivered or two depending upon uh, what you want there. Um, you will love how good it feels and tastes great. Incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash cu podcast. Blue Apron, a better way. To cook, celebrating five years. All right, we have the the Patreon Q and A coming at you. We're gonna we're gonna get synced up here. We'll decide if we want to talk about the 3ds thing while I sync this up. No, he's like, no, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I'm a, fucking su- done. A Super Nintendo 3ds. I hurt, and I'm done talking about 3ds iterations. I don't know why Ian, you don't love the 3ds iterations. I love the 3DS. I just don't care. No scumbag still of the week this week, I don't think. How can people discover the Patreon call-in number? Oh, you go to www.patreon.com slash podcast. Sure. And uh, it is one of the tiers um, you can uh, uh, sign up for, and there will be a phone number where you can call in and leave a Q&A that we will play on the podcast. Also, on the, the Patreon, you can see the whole video format there as well. Yeah, that's always been uh, available on the uh, Patreon since day one, and that is probably the uh, biggest draw. Um, you can actually watch the full uncut video um, podcast via Patreon. Here's the first question. Ian, you want to get your finger on the slider just in case? Hey, Pat, Ian. It's me, Rashid, from Dubai. This is my second question. Uh, what do you think if Nintendo made uh, a retro gaming subscription service for the Switch? It's like, it's like the PlayStation uh, one where they uh, you pay a monthly fee and you get access to all the retro gaming library they offer. Uh, do you think this kind of service will work? Will Nintendo ever attempt to do that? Or are they just going to sell you the same Super Mario Brothers in every different console for their... Already asked for for ninety nine maybe, or a subscription service would be much better. Thank you guys for the show. Peace. Okay, 
kind of dropped out there. But yeah, uh, should... so um, they're doing it. They're doing well, their online service is going to include retro games, right? Uh, but I, I know what he's referring to, and, and my answer would be similar to it would be basically yours. So Sony has a a, a service called um, PlayStation Now, which uh, for a cer- certain amount every month, um, uh, I think it's like twenty nine ninety nine a month or something. I don't know what the price is. I don't think it's that much. Um, they actually give you streaming access to a huge library of PlayStation 3, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 titles. Um, Nintendo is basically... Nintendo's online service is going to do that, but they're going to trickle them in. So I think the question is really, would Nintendo... If Nintendo did something like Sony did, would it work? I think the answer is yes, and it would work it it would work just fine because it's a they're smaller games that they're streaming. It would be something that um it would be easier to work with. But like Pat said, it it's already basically worked into what they said they're going to do with their online service. They're going to drop each month retro games into um into the well, service. They, well, they started saying you're only going to get one free every month. But, but now they, but said, now they gonna... said you're going to get a bunch. Right. We just don't know how many you're going to get. They said 8 and 16 bit. Right. So that means, hey, maybe you start off with 50 NES games and 50, you know, 16-bit games, and that's a start. Obviously, then they, they got to get other companies on board and purchase the rights. But I think to, right now they're looking at it as just a bonus to the – just to make sure, to put it over top, to make sure you get that whatever whatever it is. It's not, it's not even 10 bucks a month. It's less than 50 bucks for the whole year, right, for, for the service? It's well, 20 bucks a year. 20 bucks a year? Yeah. That's it, and that'll get you. So unless they're doing it differently in Dubai, and I I, I think they said that they were doing this the same worldwide, but I I can't remember. Unless they're doing it differently in Dubai, um, that is kind of part of their online features already. maybe they'll do an add-on for if you want to get every single game that came out in the NES that we have the rights to. Maybe it's an extra five bucks a month. Who knows? Yeah, they could do a plus plan or something They could do a plus plan, because 20 bucks a month for what they're off, or excuse me, a year for what they're offering with a selection of games where we didn't know how many it's going to be, that's an insane deal. I'm going to sign up for that. Just so I can have games on the go with the Switch that are eight and sixteen bit, like who knows? Like, like say if they, what if they said, okay, we'll throw in Star Fox Two with the rest of the Super Nintendo games for an extra six bucks a month. Would that be worth it to a lot of people? Probably, just to have the convenience of that. I would probably do that again to have a handheld console. That's the difference. The PlayStation One's not handheld for their Plus, so you guys got to be at home. This is everywhere. So thanks for the question again out there in. Uh, uh, Dubai, but I think Nintendo's getting there. I'm I'm really surprised this year by the sudden turnaround of stuff like this. Thinking the Super Nintendo Classic producing more NES Classic coming back. I think Nintendo. I think I said Reggie probably beats them over the head with a baseball bat because because they, there's definitely been a shift in thinking in the past five months on on a lot of things. Oh, don't worry, they'll poop their pants again soon enough. Okay, fair enough. Hey, Ian Pat, this is Gizmo from uh, California and. I have to I have to wonder what with the NES SNES Classic being released as well as many virtual games being released on uh, Nintendo Switch, Nintendo Wii, as well as the Nintendo Wii U, such as Duck Hunt on the Wii U. Uh, why do you think there haven't been any attempts, or at least any noticeable attempts, to mod a Zapper to work on an HD TV or a 2K TV? Is it because it's too expensive, too complicated, maybe it's too hot. Maybe they just don't have the time. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'd like to know. Thank you, and goodbye. Well, I don't think it's worth their time. 
yeah, I don't think it's worth their time. Um, from what I understand, it's 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 just not, um, just not really doable. I have seen interesting hacks and tricks that do base kind of allow um, people to use a light gun on HDTV. Uh, one I saw was like a, some sort of interesting reflection method or something like that that does you know kind of allow you to to use a light gun. But um, <clears throat> I, I mean, you have infrared pointers and in, in stuff now on your devices your joy-con can be used could be i i believe um used to point at the tv potentially sure um they've used uh you know the wiimotes as zappers i don't think they need to mock up something old or older right they they can they can do it with the technology they have there's now there's, they can make they can do a reasonable facsimile there's not enough zapper games people care about for it to make a difference. Yeah. I mean, there's like three or four Zapper games people probably actually play out of like whatever, 14 only. You know, try playing Operation Wolf with the Zapper, it's terrible. You know, it's terrible. and for Super Scope games, there's only like what, six to eight Super Scope games? Something like that. So it's like, it's a very finite amount of games that they're going to have to invest a lot of money in for a product that most people won't even care about. Sure. I mean, if we didn't do, even though we will do the NAS Marathon on a CRT to, with the Zapper games, if we lost the Zapper in the grand scheme of things, would people really care? They would get over it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I play Chiller every year, but I mean, but people would get over it. The Zapper is sort of like a cool little bonus, but it's not essential, I think, to the experience at this point in when time. When you said play Chiller, I actually, like, felt worse you for felt a worse? minute than I already do. Like, my heart sunk. Beefaroni! And we'll do one more or two more, depending on how this one is. Hey, Batman. This is regular Nintendo. I was wondering what your thoughts were on game preservation with like the eShop and digital downloads only. Wouldn't it be cool if they had like a eShop greatest hits volume one come out on physical media. That way we'd kind of preserve games uh, for a little longer. Okay. Uh, that's it. Thanks guys. Bye. Thanks Alan. Yeah. Thanks Alan. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do. And, uh, and that is something that worries me. That's, you know, we we discussed that earlier when we talked about um, <clears throat> limited run games. You know, uh, now being able to publish physical copies for the Switch, I am afraid that we are going to you know lose um, a lot of the little games that were on uh, DSiWare or WiiWare or the eShop. Um, but uh, you know, your the idea of a best of eShop is great. The problem is, is they're all different little publishers and companies, and getting everything together to make that doable would be really hard. Um, I, I I'd love there to be an easy solution, whether it's physical or digital, to just get the code out there. But I I don't know what it is. Um, I mean, I would certainly buy something like that if it was put out. But I I. I think logistically it would be very difficult to do so. Yeah. Um, what do you said, I guess? <laughs> Otherwise, hold on to that Wii U console for 50 years and make sure you can play all those those games out there. If you want to ask us questions, check out the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash podcast to, an- to ask questions audio-wise. You can still ask questions on Twitter. I know people in the comments like to get at us. Oh, you got to pay to ask questions? No, but if you want to be special, a little extra incentive. To, you know, so we can hear your nice voice from Dubai. Give him up to Rush from from Dubai. I mean, that's ridiculous. He's calling in from across the world. Technology's outstanding, right? It is. Q and A time uh, on the CU podcast. 
Alright, Ian asks. <clears throat> this is from uh, at Keeping Up Gaming. Do you think that loot crates constitute gambling? The UK government has opened up an inquiry to see if it does. We talked a little bit about this at our PRG panel, but let's uh, let's dive into it again. So now the, the the latest rage is to have boxes in games that you, you can purchase the boxes and you can randomly get, you know, whether it's customization, weapons, uh, little trinkets, whatever. The whole point is you're still it's still microtransactions, and it's chance involved to know exactly what you're going to get. And some stuff is probably harder to get than others, right? That's gambling. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a form of gambling. It's flat out gambling. I don't care how you spin that, but the loot boxes in games is a form of gambling. Same thing to me as the fucking skins in, in CSGO. I don't see I don't see a difference. Sure. I mean, we went from achievements in games where, okay, you have to hop on a thousand turtle heads and you get this. Okay. Everyone is going to do the same thing and is going to get that. There's nothing. You're gonna there's get no the, chance. Right. It's all skill-based. Skill-based, and everyone gets the same unlockable. Or, if you purchase something for $2, and it says for $2, you get reuse uh, purple dress outfit. I don't know. It's Street Fighter Five. At least you know you're purchasing something for a price. You're going to get it. That's just a sale. Even right. though you hate my hate microtransactions, there's no chance involved. There's no, there's no mystery. There's no, there's no incentive to keep trying. It's a one-time purchase, and you get that. This is a entirely different. Now, let's say you're playing Overwatch, and for and this is this is crazy. For a limited time only, they release a costume for a character that you like for, say, a Halloween event, and you have a month to get it. But you don't know if you're going to get it when you you can earn a free loot box every time you level up, but you can buy them, and you don't know if you're getting that costume, and because it's a limited time. If people really want, and, and once it's gone, it's gone. They they've never brought back any of these special event costumes. So if you don't get it in that period of time, you don't get that costume for the character you play a lot, which causes people to buy these in insane amounts to get this costume, and you don't know the odds. And I mean, it's 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 very much gambling with with real money. It's amazing to me how we've progressed <clears throat> very quickly from by the way. from. I mean, I remember the outrage when Street Fighter 4 came out and people found out that you had to buy alternate costumes. And you got, like, four costumes for four characters for five bucks. People were like, what the fuck is people this? People were like, this is fucking nuts. But you got four costumes. I mean, looking back at it today, you got four costumes for five bucks and you knew what you were getting. Now, it's like a $1.99 a loot box... You have no idea what you're getting. And, I mean, you just dump money upon... And, 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 and then, on top of that, you don't know if you're going to get the costume. You have to keep trying. And then, you might not ever even get the costume you want. Because it's a limited time thing. And then, and then you've wasted all the money for literally nothing. Because you, you can't even keep trying to get that costume so, anymore. Sounds like gambling to me. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the UK Gambling Commission is looking into it. Um... In the U.S., maybe they'll follow suit. I know, I know that I don't know if the lawsuit's still going on um, against uh, Valve for the, the CS:GO skin stuff, but all it takes is for this to get out into the the mainstream, 
and then you you don't want the fucking government getting involved in games. There has the ESRB was necessary because if it wasn't for that, you didn't want the government fucking regulating video games. That would have been the worst thing ever. So this has to be police somehow internally inside the video game industry before it gets out of control. Then you have fucking Senate hearings on, on, on C-SPAN about this stuff. It'll come. All you need is a few people to say, oh, my son racked up a $1,000 bill on, on loot boxes in one month in this game. Then, it, then it'll snowball. And then 20 years later, after fucking Night Trap, 25 years later, you're going to have this come about. Right. Because they're, they're having younger people, adults, and probably children will be able to access somehow. As long as they get the, hey, mom, give me the credit card, put in the game. They won't think about it more than twice. Um, and then it's still the same little fucking chemicals firing in your head about, ooh, what am I going to get? Ooh, this is the virtual fucking gumball machine where you're, you know, where you have the little... The gachapon machine. Yeah, little yeah. bubbles when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. Oh, you see the you see the watch on the top. Guess what? Probably wasn't either. Was really one watch in the entire thing or no watches, but it's the same sort of thing. You put in the fifty cents. You turn the little knob. You get the bubble out. Oh, it's just a fucking cheap sticker. Try again. This is the same thing. Trying to get that little the little LCD watch in nineteen eighty six. But. You may not get it. You might spend 20 bucks to get that watch that's worth like $2. And in this case, this is all virtual shit that's really worth nothing. Unless, uh, I hope it's not going to be like a marketplace that's set up or enabled to be set up like with the skins on CSGO, where now you're going to be trading it and actually create some sort of weird-ass virtual marketplace based oh, upon this shit for these games. At least in Overwatch so far there isn't one, but I still find the loot box is basically indefensible. I, this is Yeah, this is beyond the slippery, slippery slope. Yeah. We passed it. We've gone from a few years, like you said, where ooh, you got to buy paid money for alternate costumes to ooh, now you're paying for a chance to get something you want. Yeah. I mean, what's next after that? You're going to put a feeder, a, a dollar feeder on the console that just smacks you in the face. Just every smacks time you in the you face. All right. There you go. This is from at Daniel Jose Leary. Part of the question, but he was basically saying, is there a need for a place like Discogs? Which is a record-based website for for games, though. Do we need a we need a, a database slash marketplace for video games similar to how Discogs is for records? It would be great, I think, if if there was. Um, the problem is, is there's a I think there's a lot of sites that have popped. I think a lot of sites popped up trying to be um, like the Discogs of video games, whether it be like a uh, Racket Boy or uh, various other collecting websites like that where you can, you know, uh, basically input your collection and all the information about your collection, what games you have, what you're looking for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, something like that kind of exists, but not on the same scale as of Discogs, and it's not as unified. Basically, everyone, uh, most people I know who collect records, including me, use Discogs, and... Um, what makes Discogs unique and would probably be very cool, um, unique video game wise, because I'm not real aware of a lot of these video game websites, is Discogs is exhaustive in its information. Um, you know, which printing, what year, uh, what label, um, you know, check the number on the runout groove of your record, you know, and it'll tell you, you know, exactly what printing it is. Uh, you know, is it limited? Is it not limited? Is it a repress, third repress, you know, fourth repress, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's just nuts. So to put it into perspective, <clears throat> and then you can, you know, grade your condition and all that stuff. 
Um, and it's also a marketplace, and it's actually a very fair marketplace. It's an incredibly fair marketplace, and uh, all of my transactions on Discogs have gone well, although I'm sure there are plenty so, of places where it won't. A video game version of it would be something like where you could put down, is it five screw, is it three screw, is it this label variant, that label okay. variant, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Is it green label, black label? So that's, label? that's the appeal of Discogs. It's, it's like an encyclopedia of the variants as well as describing what it is. Yeah, and, and it's also info on but it's also informational because so you can put everything in, but then when you click on the entry, it takes you to an entry on that specific record mm-hmm. and gives you all the general info, then gives you all the info you need to know about that specific pressing of it and what makes sure. it special. So, or, or unique or different, or even if there's nothing unique or different about it other than the fact that it was a just a, you know, a, a, a different run of it. So. But for this to happen for video games, you'd have to get the buy-in of every single eBay seller out there to switch over to another platform. Right. And and that's... That's tough. It, it is tough. Um, and it's not so much eBay, because lots of people sell records online. It, you know, I mean, the community itself, if you build in a marketplace, that would... You know, that would naturally happen. It's that I think there are already too many little sites trying to do this that already have their own little groups and members that I think trying to get everyone just simply to migrate to one site as a large community to create something as big as Discogs, I think it's too late for that to happen for the video game collecting community. So record collecting w- was matured much, much uh, way before video game collecting was, so they had a chance to congeal yeah. before eBay became a bigger marketplace. Yeah, and maybe in time video game collecting will do that, but yes, record collecting's been around for a lot longer, so it may just be... Well, there's also less appeal, at least overall, for video games for variant collecting at this point. I mean, there's some people that will say, I want the three or five screw or sure. or, or the gold versus silver uh, NES seal quality. But that's not many collectors at all really care about Sure. That. It seems like with record collectors, there is a lot more appeal to certain pressings, yeah. you know, certain region pressings, Japanese pressing, German I mean, pressing, U.S. pressing, you know, that sort of thing. On the NES, it's, or, or, excuse me, most consoles is just, oh, is it the greatest hits version or the regular one? And then that's as far as it usually goes. You'll have some people to say, oh, I want the Reve non-hang tab versus hang tab. But again, most people are just satisfied just to have the one box copy. The and nice that's... thing about Discogs, though, is it's very self-policing. And we've kind of talked about this before. If there was something like Discogs for games, it would probably be a big step into helping um, squash counterfeits. And things like that. Because there'll be a method of not having like, the reputable seller to be there. Yes. And then if, if, as soon as you start selling counterfeits, you're, you, you're, you're wiped no, out. You, no one's going to... Yeah. I mean, so the better, words so can di- get around very So Discogs quick. has a better system to police that than I, eBay. Basically, it's, it, it, it's just kind of an honor system that's built up you know, through credibility over the years, and that's why people feel comfortable doing business within Discogs. Because you, you make an estimate for how many different sellers are on Discogs? Is that thousands, hundreds? Yeah, yes, thousands. It's thousands. thousands. So basically, if you're selling a rare record, you, you gravitate even to Discogs as much as eBay. I, I When, let's say I go to, like, my favorite record shop in San Diego, um, like M-Theory, when they're looking to price a used record, they will, you know, they'll they'll check Discogs because Discogs will show you what the last ten copies of that record went for in various conditions and things sure. like that. Um, you know, and it's uh, like I said, you know, the the people will adjust their prices very quickly. To be fair, because 
you know, they, they want these things to move. They'll see, like I said, it, 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 it's just because it's so specialized to records too, everything just evens out. Like I said, it's, it's, it, it's better policed. Um, the prices tend to stay more on point. Um, and I do think it'd be a great thing for video games, but I think it would, it would be, that sort of thing would be a long ways off. Sure. The ones I've tried, have failed. Chase the Chuck Wagon failed. Game Gavel failed. So unless, they never even tried to incorporate what you're talking about. Well, yeah. About. I mean, those yeah. are more just like eBay alternatives. Discogs is really just kind of an all-in-one thing for, for re- music. Database. It's not just records. It's I mean, like pre- CDs and tapes too, but for music collectors. Okay. Oh, that's it for this CU podcast. Ian got through it. I almost did, um, for the most part. <laughs> Fucking barely. Um, Ian's closing up shop already. Uh, again, if you like the podcast, subscribe. Podbean, uh, Google Play, Play Store, iTunes. Uh, what is it? It's the other one I always forget. Switcher. Stitcher. Stitcher. Not Switcher. I think it's Twitch. Uh, Stitcher. Speaking of Twitch... The NES Marathon is coming back November 11th and 12th. Go to nesmarathon.com for more information. We're also looking for sponsors. The tiers are there below. Tears of the crowd. Uh, they're one of the best songs ever written. They're one, they're, it's down there. But it's an underrated song, in my opinion. Um, so down there, look for those tiers, and you can you can give us, not us, Americares. We get in donations directly to see us play games with, with Gerard and Andre and Alex Bastiani and Vani and a demon cat named Spike. Um... <laughs> Other than that, I'll be at Retro Game Con uh, November 18th at Retro Game Con that weekend. Go to RetroGameCon.com for more information in Syracuse. Um, and then also, check out UltimateNES.com for a certain NES guidebook, Ultimate Game Guide uh, for NES on iOS and Google Play Store, uh, and the video game years on Amazon Prime. So for Ian Ferguson... I'm Pat Conchry. We'll see you again the week of the marathon early on for a pre-marathon podcast. That's it. Bites are yummy. Yeah.